This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are taking a look back at The Labyrinth to see if our nostalgia is warranted. So, unfortunately for me, I am the one who brought this forward for our October episode, which means this is my chance to do the 60-second synopsis, a game that I'm terrible at. How many times have you managed to do it? I think at least once, once. I think I've done it once. Though I have a good feeling of the one that I have here because I did time it Ow. and it came to like 45, 47 seconds. Wow. Sorry, listening viewers. I just Did you just my elbow. cut out half of the movie in your synopsis? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, you kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, somebody. I have one a of you, timer ready not to me, go. I will timer. try not to hit my elbow again because that really hurt. All right. Uh, give me a countdown and I'll get it going here. Three. Two, one, go. Sarah Williams is a 15-year-old girl who resents being forced to yet again babysit her baby brother Toby. Using a plot point out of one of her favorite stories, she wishes the Goblin King to come and take her brother away and immediately regrets it because it actually works. She pleads with the Goblin King, Jareth, to give Toby back, and he refuses but gives her 13 hours to solve his labyrinth and rescue Toby before he becomes a goblin forever. The film follows Sarah solving the labyrinth, asking for advice, solving the riddles of several doors, not losing her head, and making friends along the way, including an irritable gnome named Hoggle a shaggy giant named Bluto, and a fox knight named Sardinimus. Jareth tries to sabotage her efforts several times, including advancing the clock and forcing Hoggle to give her a cursed fruit that makes her forget her goal. Despite this, she perseveres and leads her friends into battle against the goblin army. They make it to Jareth's lair, and Sarah goes on alone to face him, defeating him by remembering a line in her favorite story. She gets Toby back and puts him to sleep and parties with all of her new friends. What's up? <laughs> Five seconds to spare. Wow. That may be my best performance to date. Luckily, the plot... Thickens. I cut, off, I cut off the main part of the plot, which is the labyrinth. I cut to her, from her entering the labyrinth to her leaving the labyrinth. And I think that really... I mean, that's basically all that happens, right? So Right, she solves the labyrinth one way or another. But let's get into long form. What do you guys remember? Or what did you see as an adult that you may have missed? I just thought of a game for for Sarah that I didn't write down, but I can't tell you because we're on air. Type it to her in a chat and don't (laughs) say it aloud. Um, We'll cut that in post. Um, Carl will cut that post. I will not cut that in post. Yes. This is staying in. This is the episode. Um, This is another... We really need to do a movie next time that I haven't seen, like, every other year. Because cause I can't be like, oh, here's something new I learned. Because I'm like, I saw this movie, like, two months ago. <laughs> two months ago? Good gosh. I mean, so, probably. Uh, I it sure might have been a little. It, it might have been a little longer than that, but I've definitely seen it already this year. What? Oh, wow. Now, uh, my experience with it is I saw it as a kid. I watched it again in college, but it's been several years since I've seen it. Oh, no. I own this at probably... I know I own it on DVD, although I went 
when I went to go find it for watching this, it was not in its case, and I had to go watch it through other means, but... Well, um, I also watched it from other means, possibly illegal ones. <laughs> I have never seen it until this viewing. Yeah, oh, that's, that's right. That's why right. we picked this movie. I forgot. Yeah. So, yes. There's, so, Mark, there's a what, perspective. Is, what is your take on The Labyrinth, this being your first viewing? You may recall earlier off off air when I told Sarah there may be lots of yelling in this podcast. Oh, is that why this is going to be yelling? Because you aren't going to like it, and I'm going to yell at you. Probably. Oh, that's probably oh. going to happen. Oh, I, I, I so oh. immediately I was confused because there was no setup to the story. It was just, hey, look, suddenly there are goblins here with no reason for them being there. Well, they Right. And I was confused why that was happening at all, because like usually in a fantasy or sci-fi, they will at least set it up a little bit to get you into the universe. So you understand why the characters are a certain way or that there are other races out there or something that that are available. And all you hear is her talking about goblins all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden there they are. And it was like, well, where did they come from? Why are they there? Why well, she is she really praying to them? So well, it was she's, weird. it's supposed to be a joke. She's not actually praying to them. It's a it's oh, right. in, in the bedtime story she's telling her brother and she's doing it inside of a oh be good or the goblins will get you sort of way. Right, because at the beginning of the true. film sees her reading the book or the play of the labyrinth. Yes. Uh, and so she's relaying the story she has read to her little brother, trying to frighten him into being good, even though he's like a baby. <laughs> like a baby, but maybe he's yeah. not one. Well, I don't know his exact age. <laughs> I'm not age. good at judging the ages of babies. Right. I'm not sure if you are. I am not. This is baby. That's Everything's all I know. Everything's a baby until they can say words. He's pre-toddler for sure. Can it walk? So I, no. I assume no, it can crawl, though. that yes. most of this podcast would be Sarah yelling about trying to convince me that it's a good movie because oh. I, oh. I think oh. we are both oh. going to be yelling at you to try to convince you this, this is a good movie. This will be a tag movie. team. So I All feel right. like the, from the beginning, like I said, that like it didn't have that setup, so I was right. just a little bit off to Granted. begin with, and then you have to try to get into well, the story Well, you're a little bit off that. anyway, Mark. That's, That's also who true. you are. But just from if you're starting from that point and not into the story as soon as it starts it's kind of you have to force yourself to get into it so and understand i things. disagree with that in that yes they don't explain why the goblins exist why praying to them allowed them to come into the world and take a child however within the first five minutes they've set the ticking clock of the film she needs to get her brother back that's all you need to understand she needs to solve the challenge get her brother back that's the major motivation of the film i'm gonna say two things one prayer seems like a weird term i yeah i, I think it's more of a hex or like an enchantment or a spell would be maybe a better maybe word. i don't yeah. know just well, saying so to the goblin feels weird i i felt like uh, this was going to be some like parallel universe thing where she because she was talking about some witch queen or something who already was involved with the goblins, right? What? This what? is what I was getting from it because the, she, she was about? talking about the, the she was talking about Was that the point the, when she was trying to insult her stepmother? No. This is when she started telling the story to the baby. No, but there right. is a point said very something early about, on where she oh, talks the, about a witch the, which yeah. is her insulting her stepmother. But I thought she w it was going to be, having never seen it before, that the story would turn into like this parallel thing where in the other universe she is this 
sorceress oh, witch yeah. lady okay. who no, 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 no. had these powers. You may powers. have misunderstood the story she was telling, because she's telling the baby the story of the labyrinth, the book she's been reading. So she centers that on. She starts talking about a girl, but that girl is herself, and she tells she... that the Goblin King has fallen in love with this girl, wants to do everything for her, and because of her wishes to make the girl's life happier, she, he is going to remove the baby from her life to make her life simpler and quieter. Yeah. She does kind of like mirror it around her life, but she's doing that in a way to kind of, because she is a unhappy teenager who's right. kind of being like, wouldn't it be great if this handsome goblin king came and took this away, this annoying baby, so I could like go hang out on a Saturday? Which I want to talk about that, because I, I like the teenage angst in this film. I think it's written fairly well. I think I um, was that teenage girl. Well, I think her I name is Sarah, so... <laughs> that uh, the mom is at the beginning of the film is trying to portray herself as I'm not an evil stepmother, but you're also being a shit parent to this child by forcing her to babysit and telling her, well, you should go out on dates. And I figured if you had plans, you would tell me what those plans are. Like, you can't just make the 15-year-old watch the baby every Saturday. That's ridiculous. Really? She needs a That's life as well. That's how it worked in my family. <laughs> Well, also, <laughs> I assume this baby is a product of this new marriage yes, to solidify and justify this new relationship. Right, right. It's a stepbrother. Half-sibling. Um, yes. Half-sibling, whatever the politically correct term is No, it's now. not a politically correct. It's a literal <laughs> categorization. Sure, but stepbrother is it also... No, stepbrother step implies there is no blood relation. Half-brother implies there is some blood relation. All right. What have you? Anywho, uh, but words just... mean things. Yes, fine, fine. <laughs> to some people, but Sarah points out that they go Wait, out every single. No, Sarah the, in the this... character, the character, the character. Sarah with an H. Sarah, um, <laughs> Sarah with an H. Sarah uh, spelled the right that... way. Oh, Mark, you can leave now. <laughs> oh no, this is the yelling. The yelling's got to start now. But she points out that her parents go out every single week. They yeah, have their her... date night, and it seems like their date night is a Saturday. That's because so her forcing... parents are hip and happening. Mm -hmm. Hip and happening. Great. Sorry, I don't um... know why I said that. Please, I'll leave. I'll but leave now. I like the writing in the teenage angst here, where when the father comes to talk to her, she is both upset that the father is trying to talk to her when she's upset, but also upset that the father is not trying hard enough to yeah. talk to her. That is very a teenage thing of like not really wanting. Do I want to be comforted? Do I want to throw a fit? Do I want them closer? Do I want them farther away? Like, right. Just not very... knowing what she wants. Want... Just knowing that she's upset. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, really, when I said like this was, was I this teenage girl, that like nudie girl re reading weird plays and wearing like giant poofy like Shakespearean blouses? Yeah, that might have been me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew as the first two minutes of the movie, I said, oh, well, now I know why this is Sarah's favorite movie, because it has her name and it's somebody we, reading well, books yeah. and plays. And, and the fact that the giant Ludo character Ludo. says her name Sarah, multiple times. Sarah, But Jennifer Connelly has much better eyebrows than me, so. Well. If I could... <laughs> She, Jennifer Connelly has great eyebrows. Yes. Also, there's a justification in that one of her toys that she's clearly grown out of, but something that was very special to her as a child has been taken by her brother without her permission and is now 
in his crib with the teddy bear. Like, you get very possessive about the toys you played with as a kid when you get to this age because you... You're starting to grow out of them, but you still want to hold on to them, which is a lot of what this film is about. We will get to the heart of this film and why I think it's brilliant, but I could see a justification here as to why she's upset. Similar things, not not giving it to a sibling, but having these toys where, like, I was 13, 12, 13, 14, that kind of preteen to teen, early teenage age of like, well, aren't you getting old? You need to get rid of some of your stuffed animals. But I'm like, no, I have to keep all of them. But like, and being like feeling betrayed when my parents are like, no, you have to give some of these to like away to people. And I'm like, no, they are my stuff. How dare you? Also, I want to say there's an implication here that isn't specifically stated in the film uh, because her teddy bear, the natural sitting position, is on a shelf high up, meaning this child, this baby, did not reach up and grab it. The parents have gone into her room, took it, taken her bear, and given it to her brother without her permission. Yes, because the baby has not learned jump magic jump yet. Not yet. That not comes yet. later. Sorry. He's the babe with the power. What power? Oh, the power of voodoo? Geez. Voodoo? You do. Do what? <sighs> Remind me of the babe. Dance. Dance magic. Mark, that's oh. going to be about I'll, I'll one come of back five when times the song that we do over. this. I'm going to say a very, very controversial statement that will probably make our listeners mad at us. What's that? I will say that this movie contains... It contains my favorite David Bowie song and probably some of what I would consider David Bowie's greatest music. You know, I haven't listened to a lot of David Bowie. Yeah. I like a lot of the songs here, but some are just kind of, nah, they're all right. I'd say the ones he sings are the strongest. The Fire Swamp song is the most confusing. Mm. Fair. All yes. right. So, but, but like uh, when the world falls down and... Mm-hmm. Um, so the one, the one in, in the M.C. Escher penning? Yeah, the one at the Labyrinth yeah. and obviously Dance Magic. Those are like, those are solid songs. Yeah. Really? Well, I won't say anything then. But while you're talking you about David Bowie, like go ahead, go ahead. About <sighs> how he is a sexy, sexy man. Oh, oh uh, that we'll one get had not him. crossed oh. my mind. Oh, but that's a thing. I'm confused oh, why he is even the Goblin King because he is obviously looking like a human with just super tight pants on and weird clothes, while every other Goblin is a puppet creature. I think there's. Um, I will go into my. Being the expert on folklore and things like that, because I am the expert because I read um, too many uh, folklore stories and like grim fairy tales as a child. I think there's um, situations of that in different folklore stories where like the leader of a specific um, supernatural race looked different, looked more, um, was either taller or stronger or looked more beautiful or handsome or whatever. I think there's a literary precedent for that. Sure. Also, he's the only one in this world with magic, it seems like. Uh, So not to uh, take a look too far ahead to my games, but it's kind of like the Wicked Witch of the West having all of these minions who are flying monkeys and not being a flying monkey herself. Yeah, he might be the Goblin King as in King of the Goblins, not necessarily a king who is a goblin. Yeah, or like Sauron with his orc race. Like you have a powerful sorcerer often has minions... Uh, that are not his own. And race. I will say, David Bowie was not the only. Uh, they were always looking towards some sort of rock pop star for this. Yes, they and, considered Sting and Michael Jackson. And I'm so glad they did not cast Michael Jackson. Sting, I think, would have worked had that same very 
tall. He's, he's, he's very David Bowie-esque. Yeah, very tall, I could see them tall, fulfilling very that same cut role. cheekbones, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. Oh, I think they maybe considered, thought about Prince at one point in time, too. That could be. And, and both of those that. are little, um, a little, I don't know. They don't kind of have that other word. Like, I, I think they're a little in-your-face sort of, like that electric, like, 80s pop. Whereas, like, David Bowie and Sting both kind of had that other Crappy worldly. 80s pop. I'm not talking about the music. I'm talking physically. <laughs> They've got that very, I mean, obviously, David Bowie's the Thin White Duke. That very tall, strong, almost, like, otherworldly lookingness to them. Because um, David Bowie's got those very, very um, um, light-colored eyes and very strong, like, cheekbones. Oh, he also has, uh, doesn't he have two different irises? Uh, two different eye colors? Yeah, hedochromia. Yep. So, Mark, I, I've got to spend part of this podcast recording trying to convince you this is a good film. Um, uh, but go, go, let's, wait, let's look at it. We'll see if you can change my games let's later. Let's talk about um, David Bowie. But we were talking about things that we learned on reviewings and stuff like that. Oh, I yeah. will say, getting older, the more... You've noticed per- the bulge more. Yes. No, but, but I will tell <laughs> The bulge is not real. The bulge is fake. And it was not... To pad the bulge. And Sarah it's, would know this, of course. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, actually a well-known um, trivia about it. What it was is the juggling is is um, It's oh, done yeah. by it's someone else. It's, it's yes. done by someone else. And David Bowie, in that costume, sweated a bunch. And he was very concerned that, like, he didn't smell good. And so what he did is he took potpourri packets and shoved them in his <laughs> pants. And the director... Was it, I don't know if it was the director because... The director would have been, would have it been Jim Henson? Or would it have been um, Brian Henson? He, no, Brian Henson. Brian was hobbled. Uh, Brian Froud uh, was involved with character design. I think Henson did direct. Brian yeah. Henson was involved. He, he was hoggle. hoggle. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. remember, because I think this maybe was the last Jim Henson movie. It was. Before he died. Um, but I don't remember who saw it and thought it was hilarious and told him to keep doing it. So it was originally just because he wanted to smell better, and that was like with that costume, which has no pockets, was like yeah. just shove it in my pants. So that was the story of the bulge. You brought you anyway, remind me of the bulge. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what it brought up as I got older, the more I was like, you know what? Sarah should just forget about her brother and just stay with David Bowie. He would love that. That's he, like his whole motivation at the end of the well, film. Well, but at that point, she would have been staying with her brother anyway because yeah, he would have been true. trapped like, at the castle. The well, also her brother would turn into a goblin, which whatever. probably isn't great. He seems like he's enjoying it. Dance parties, whatever. David Bowie gives you pretty dresses and bubble dreams bubble and all dreams. sorts of bubble stuff. Bubble balls, guys. And like weird MC Escher casuals. I'm like, I'm going to stay with David Bowie. Yeah, that's pretty to great. Me. Seems pretty all right. Anyway, uh, so oh, you mentioned you mentioned the Fushigi work, which is incredibly well done in this film. The, the like, glass balls. The hand, the yes. hand the juggling. Yes. Yes, oh, no, that's it's the, or so contact cool. juggling is another yeah, word for it. Th- so yeah. I heard about this story from someone else when I told him that we were watching this, and I completely forgot who the person's name was, so I'm terrible. But okay. <laughs> I knew who it was not David Bowie because I was like, that, no. yes. that, yeah. Although so. David Bowie did train to be a mime at one point in time. It's really well done in that some of the shots are straight on where you see Bowie's face, and then there's his hand, which isn't connected to his body, doing some of the, the ball work, and then other times it's from behind with somebody else in the costume doing all like the complicated moves and 
And it's used so well that it doesn't feel like it was just, hey, we want a cool shot, here's this stuff. Like, it fits in with his powers and creating the bubble dreams and sending out things. Right, like, all of his powers seem centered around these Fushigi balls. Yeah. Which, like, incorporating that in a character is cool, and then presenting it in such a way that the the guy portraying the character isn't doing the actual work, but it still looks like he is. Yeah, I didn't know That's until really done. years well later done. that it was a, a different person doing it, that it, the arms weren't connected. Because, like, the only thing that David Bowie does with the balls is he, like, spins them around on a single hand at yeah. one point. But there's some really complicated techniques oh, in this, yeah. and mm-hmm. it looks amazing. This is, this is a beautiful movie. Yes. So, getting into that, let's look from a technical standpoint... This was like the pinnacle of puppetry for this time. Oh, yes. And it's yeah. incredibly well done. So, so got... I will go from that route. I had note. Well, I didn't take notes, but in my head, I have notes that this is some of the best puppetry work that I have seen in a movie. And the special effects, like you said, the, the juggling mo- mo- motions where it's somebody else's hands and some of the other ones where now you can see that they're a bit dated you can tell right. but for the yeah. time it was really high end and it was good some of them hold up even today most of it does there's only a couple scenes where it's just kind of obvious but like the special effects scenes are probably to me the the part that stood out about it is this only yeah, our second great. jim henson movie uh after a muppet christmas carol it might yeah. be yeah and we t- but we talked about in there about how good well may- no wait Henson, not Henson, but um, um, not uh, what is what is their their creature factory? Oh, um, just the creature shop. Creature shop. They did stuff with Willow, didn't they? Uh, they uh, they may have. I don't I, know about that. I will fact that, check that later and but. tell you guys. But 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 we talked about when we were doing Christmas Carol as well. How good um, Jim Henson and the creature shop is at scale stuff. And how, because we talked about with them, they had really different ones. And this one goes from the teeny, teeny puppet with the worm to how huge Hoggle, not Hoggle, how huge Ludo is. Ludo, Ludo. Ludo, Ludo. Or even the big night guy, but I don't know, that may may have been a forced perspective Because I'm sure, like, the worm at some times when they're close up, it's a bigger puppet. No, he was really big because there's some shots of Ludo next to him. No, but I'm talking about uh, the, the worm. No, not, not no, the, the worm, the, 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 yes, the humongous Ludo. robot at the yes. end. Yes, but I'm sure, like, the worm, they had a version that was bigger to do, like, the close-ups of the face. But there's definitely shots where it's just Jennifer Connelly sitting next to this tiny little finger puppet. Though, well, that could be. It did seem to me like that was almost um, yeah, they digitally done spliced a spli- in. A splish, mm-hmm. spliced anyway, but Hoggle is also... A really complicated oh, yeah. animatronic yeah, I, compared There's to a like the Christmas right? Carol. Yeah, because he has so, to walk around. But compared to the Christmas Carol, like the Muppets, Kermit, and all of the like, yeah, they're, they're good all puppets by one person. But like yeah. the Hoggle one, like that you have the mouth moving, the eyes all move, the fa- like parts of the face would so move around. So let me. I, I have a book here about Jim Henson stuff. Let me just read to you how complicated Hoggle is. Uh, Hoggle is the sum of five performances. There's a petite actress in the suit called Sherry Weiser. 
uh, four puppeteers. Brian Henson is wearing a special mitt on his right hand that controls the mouth of the puppet, so he can do the jaw movements and the talking. Another special mitt is on the hand of another puppeteer controlling the lips. Third puppeteer has a fingertip joystick to control Hoggle's eyes and eyelids. And a fourth puppeteer is using a similar mechanism to animate the eyebrows. And they're all doing this together at the same time to make these expressions. Yeah, like... I, I think they purposely, some of their stuff are like Muppets and Sesame Street. They keep those very, I mean, the inner workings and stuff to make the move and stuff are obviously very different, but like the face shapes and stuff, they keep very simple because they are, tend to be um, focused more towards children. So it's simple faces and stuff like that. When you look at the stuff that they do, that's kind of separate story stuff like this, stuff like Dark Crystal and work they do for other things. Some of that stuff is enormously complicated for oh, Dark Crystal. Yeah. There's the Skeksis which are these kind of, like, corpse birds. Like, they are crazy looking, like... And I mean, like, if you're talking top of the top for puppetry and stuff like that, yeah. it is it is this company. Yeah, so, like, Hoggle, like, the people controlling him had to work four months to be in sync and actually make it look like this is a one person. And I think they accomplished this. It never feels like his eyebrow is doing something that his mouth isn't doing. I will say this costume goes a bit into the uncanny valley for me because his, <laughs> his head and hands are a little oversized for the body. He looks a but bit like a potato. at the same time, He's I don't know a what a goblin race. looks yeah. like. He's a dwarf. So before, before we get into it, I do hate Hoggle. That's you fine. Said that I'll get into the reasons his character later. or his look? His, his character. I think right. the look is great we are, for what We are going to get into character. I just um, want to cover the no, puppets right now. But I yeah. think the... For the fact Ludo is also incredible. <gasps> Because he is 75 pounds. The person wearing him has to hunch over over controls, uh, look into a monitor, one of which is getting the wide shot of what Ludo looks like in the frame. The other is in Ludo's horn yeah, so that camera. he can see out the front. Yeah, I knew there was a little camera in the horn. But like, and the fact that they're basically just a big old bag of metal and fabric. But you feel they're so good at like yeah. making you feel you emotions. Feel something these for these people, like, whether you like these characters or not, and even not even just for these main characters like Ludel and Hoggle, like these characters that show up for like thirty seconds. The worm, the trash oh. lady. Let's um, talk about the hands. The hands oh. in that pit. Yes, <laughs> creepy. But oh, oh, the door it's knockers. So the door knockers. It's so simple with these hands, but they there's 150 pairs of them, and like they all come together in traditional puppetry to make completely different faces, mm -hmm. like at least 20 different faces to talk to Sarah as she's falling down this hole. That seems like made the me uncomfortable effects the and puppetry, the practical effects are amazing. For that giant robot at the end, they had to uh, invent a new technique with the foam rubber so that it looked like metal. That had not been done before in a film. Yeah, I would, I th like, I'd never want to, like, do puppetry, but, like, going to the the like the shop and getting to like see some of the people working oh. that would be like that would be like an amusement oh. park wouldn't it to just be like yes. be able to watch them and be like oh and before we get away from puppetry the so my girlfriend has a problem with these creatures i kind of love them they're they're called the fireies oh, the guy no. who can like no. take off their hands and body parts i hate that anyway you mean elmo the, on crack? yes elmo is in this he kevin is. clash is kevin one of these clash. birds uh but I like them because it is so complicated puppetry oh, no. because like 
two to three people are controlling a single one of these. Mm -hmm. Like they're in like the black or green screen suits and like they're controlling different body parts. Because the parts are flying all over the place. The heads can separate, the hand can come back and forth. And you have to be totally in sync. Kevin Clash talked about this in uh, his documentary about being Elmo. He talked about working on this film. There's a specific scene where his fiery pokes his eyes, takes out his eyeballs, rolls them like dice, picks them back up, swallows them, and then has eyes in the eye sockets again. That was the most complicated scene to work on. They worked for a week and could not get it. Kevin Clash finally went to Jim Henson. It's just like, look, I think what you're asking for cannot be physically done on film. Jim Henson was just like, get it done. And then they got it done and it's in the movie. So, Uh, like, they really push themselves. I love watching this film because it is puppeteers at the height of their game doing the best work of their careers. Like, Jim Henson and all of his puppeteers, they are the best of the best. So, I I will say, I mean, I said it when you started talking about this, that the technical stuff and the special effects, the puppetry is the best well, for me, the best part of this movie, but this is probably right. the best puppetry I've seen in a movie. So awesome! Yeah. But um, that yeah, scene, yeah. I have no idea what that has to do with anything, because so, she got lost. She ends up running into these guys for five minutes. They see they sing a song, and then she moves on and does something else, and they have no bearing on the rest of the movie at um, all, except to scare child Sarah. Yes. Right, but and they have nothing to do with the story. I don't Tory. know why that scene was there at all. All right, so that is a fair point and a fair critique of this film. So this film was written uh, by uh, Terry Jones, who is uh, an ex Monty Python person, uh, and a lot of times when the he got to uh, yeah, different Terry, uh, when he got to a point in the script where he needed something to happen but wasn't sure what would happen he took a look at brian froud's sketches and found a a sketch or a character that could fit in a scene and made it work so that scene's about her reconnecting with hoggle again and so she needs to be in some sort of danger this is the danger that she presents however i will say she's in a giant labyrinth without rules and without shifting walls i love the amount of side characters and world building that occurs in this film because she's always running into something new. Cause, and, and a lot of them, like, that's a big one that takes a couple minutes. But most of them are, like, five, ten seconds. There's the, the little guys that move her tiles. There's the worm. There's, there's the, the weird wizard guy. who panhandles wisdom. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> there's the, like, really tall guys. Um, yeah. She runs knockers. into the goblins. Yeah. But, like, I love that amount of world building. It's all kind of random. However, that's the things that she's going to see when she's running through this weird maze. But I will say one more thing about puppets before we yes. actually move on to plot and stuff. Yes, plot and character are next. If there was um, a plot. Th- Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Get out of here. Um, Did you not the, hear my 60-second synopsis? <laughs> the other really impressive thing to me, besides all the technical stuff, like, technical stuff we've already talked about is dance magic dance there are so many puppets on screen at the same time in that scene there's like dozens of them different shapes different sizes different looks just like all over the place getting thrown around getting tossed everywhere so many puppets 
Oh, yeah. Now, before we uh, move on to plot one, uh, since we already covered it, uh, the scene where Sarah is talking or no, looking for her brother after wishing him to go away. There's a couple of quick shots with like puppets moving in the background in the shadows. The and that is so effective and creepy. Oh, Oh, this, yeah, it's it's just... Ooh. Yeah, it just... It There's sets a lot of a mood very... And brings in, like, the danger that she's about for being to face. This, like, being a quote-unquote quote kids, unquote kids movie. There's very unsettling... That's very unsettling. The trash lady le- later is very unsettling. Like, the, the fireys are just straight-out creepy. Like, they're just right. a really weird thing. But there's a lot of things that are subtly just really just something's not right. Right. All right, so let's move on to, I guess, characters, since we don't cover much plot here. That's what the 60-second synopsis is about. Let's go character by character. We already kind of talked about Sarah as a character. I like her development. I think it's really a coming-of-age story, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to wrap up with her at the end and talk yeah. about like the, the message, the heart of the film. So let's talk about Hoggle as a character. I, I know Hoggle. you hate him. It might just be me. There's just something about his character and how... I think it's the fact that he looks like a middle-aged man and he gets very, very attached to Sarah, who is a teenage girl, that makes me vaguely uncomfortable. I don't know. There's just something about that that's just weird to me. All right. I have not considered his age and his interaction with a a teenager. There's just something about him that looks like a, like, 60-year-old... Jewish deli owner from New York. <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Technically, anyway. I think it's religionist. I... Probably. Yeah, I've I've tried to make that point before. It might but be both. It's one of those. It's as bad. Anyway, because it's it's both a religion and an ethnicity, and I don't know at that point which one I was talking about. But but he just kind of looks like a like a middle aged. He looks like he should be like a I goblin I version of Larry so David. He he. He's the one character that is kind of supposed to have the, the um conflict? No, the what am I looking for? His personality change. Yeah. Oh, um, uh character development? Yes, there it is. Um so He has he, a shift of so loyalty because, during Right, cuz yeah. he's supposed to be the bad guy who's keeping her from getting to the end and then he right. talks to Jareth and and he's, then he's supposed to give her this fruit, but the whole time he's conflicted and doesn't know what he wants to do, but then he does it anyway. And then in the end, he keeps coming back to her, even though he says, oh, she's never going to forgive me. I, there's no reason yeah. for them I, to be my friend, but then he keeps going back. And yes. I don't, so... Maybe it was... <laughs> it's confusing, again, because I don't, I don't understand what side he's coming from because he keeps oh. flip-flopping. So my understanding is that he lives here. He has to live and encounter Jareth on a daily basis. He seems like he's like Jareth is Jareth is like gardener. Yeah, like like, (laughs) he he knows he's not powerful enough to take on Jareth. He is scared of Jareth. But he also kind of believes that maybe Sarah can solve the labyrinth. And so... Yeah, the he fact seems to be that, like getting won over by Sarah because Sarah's a nice lady. Right. Sarah isn't scared of him. Sarah makes deals with him. 
uh, like, and he really, really likes costume jewelry and is not above abandoning his job and his uh, values for a bit of uh, bracelets Ooh, it's made or whatever. Of plastic. It must be so expensive. Uh-huh. Um, no, I, maybe no, it was the but voice I think Brian several... Hinson chose that just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I think at points he hasn't chosen a side. He's playing both both sides and trying to get the better deal out of either side. Uh, and Jareth makes him choose by giving her the peach. Uh, and he realizes that's not the person that he is. That's not what he wants to do. I'll take the peach. I'll live in the bubble world. I want that dress. I think the peach is the turning point where he knows he can't play both sides anymore. Yeah. And he chooses Sarah. It was the line too far. Yeah. But he didn't I... choose Sarah because he gave her the fruit. After the peach. No, where see, after he gave her the fruit. See the effects of the peach. <laughs> right, that's that's. But he where knew he... what the effects were going to be before he gave it to her. But Correct. He see them happening. <laughs> but he feels like he has to do this, which is why he says, "Damn you, Jareth, and damn me too." So my my feeling for this was that this is like a recurring thing where. Jareth is constantly trying to steal Stealing babies baby. and make people do his labyrinth. So because because all the people in the labyrinth know what's going on. They know why she is there trying to defeat it. So it seems to me that they've all done this before. So what is so special suddenly that Hoggle wants to wants the human person to win? Maybe maybe all of the other girls were really like wimpy. So there's a weird theory that i have uh that one jokely comes up in my tv guides but i feel like at the end of this film jareth is kind of pleading with sarah to you know be enslaved by him and i think he knows that without her this world does not exist because the world is also populated with everything from Sarah's room. Every, like, the poster of, of the MC Escher comes up, that's the final thing, but she has, she has a Ludo doll, she has a statue of what is essentially Jareth on her desk. Sir she is She is reading the labyrinth, meaning that she knows this story already. Sir so Didymus' like, dog is her dog? Yeah, so this world is centered around her. I don't, I think if she, if she refuses it, if she doesn't believe in it, it doesn't exist. Although going with Mark's theory that this is a reoccurring thing. So it's basically constantly... Fantasia again. If she doesn't believe in it, it goes away. But yeah. going back to Mark's theory, if this is a reoccurring thing and he constantly steals babies and turns them into goblins. Sure. Are all of those goblins in his thing, baby, he's sold, they seem fine. They seem like they're having a great time. Maybe she should leave Toby. Uh, they they see like sycophantic. Uh, they're... Let's see, they hang out in that room and don't do anything and are and forced to laugh parties. at their king. They're having they dance, dance parties constantly. Yeah, they're having dance parties constantly. Yeah, when we the king me. wants to have a dance party, I don't think they get to throw a dance party anytime they want to. Maybe. Here's my theory now. As often yeah. as he sings songs, I'm sure they're just dancing yeah. all day. It's like every 15 minutes, there's constant dance parties. Jareth is really, really lonely. And the internet doesn't exist yet, so he can't huh. do Tinder or whatever. And this is the only way he can meet girls is by kidnapping their siblings. You need to stop stealing my games. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I think maybe my problem is the fact that some of those scenes between Hoggle and Sarah, to me, come off almost vaguely romantic. Like Hoggle has a crush on Sarah. Oh, between her and Hoggle. I think think that is true. I think... 
There's definitely like the romantic fact... undertones between Jareth and Sarah. I think that's yeah, yeah. definitely intentional. No, I don't I think, think the ones Hoggle between Hog have a, a fondness, uh, possibly, you know. But the fact that it feels almost to the rom, the, like to the thing of romantic when he looks like a weird troll middle-aged man and she is definitely 15 it's not any less problematic but the way that i interpreted it is that hoggles never had a friend yes yes and that's He's the way i think it's never supposed had a to come off and so like having someone to care about him no, no. having someone include him in their yes. squad like the squad Sorry. he is that's as bad as he me picking up the word jam. happy by this, day. and he doesn't want to lose that. This is the first no, time it's ever happened to him. That's definitely the way it's supposed to come off, and that's definitely the way it should. It just almost like I don't know if it's Brian Henson's voice choice or the way he looks like a weird potato or something. <laughs> um, just something veers it almost from like I finally have a friend into right. almost vaguely creepy man having a crush territory to me that makes me uncomfortable with Hoggle. Okay, because even it's just having me. a like, even just having a friend is a little creepy to me. It's like that kid in high school who sits <laughs> on having a friend in... is creepy. Wow, no, no, no. Carl, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. It's like that that creepy. teenager in high school who sits in this <laughs> his own every day at lunch. Finally, somebody goes and talks to him, and he is over the moon and too excited and isn't himself. And texts them He's... every five seconds. Exactly, he's too clingy, which. That is problematic, well, and I think, and I think maybe, that's kind of Hoggle. I think the way they could have fixed it is if Hoggle had gained any camaraderie to literally anyone else in the True. group. Because it's a group that's forming. More people yeah. like like be, become part of the group. You get Sir Didymus, you get Ludo, you get all of these other people joining. He doesn't really talk to any of them. Well, I think part of it also is that he's a coward. Yeah. And he he finds his bravery by the yeah. end of the movie. Hoggle is like, and, and I fully admit it is, it is really a me thing, but he is my least favorite character. Yeah. And to say he's my least favorite character in the movie, he's still a good character. He's even, just... Even least favorite than the hands and the fire fire things? I, from I a technical stand, I And I wouldn't say those are bad and I just like them. I just want them in, like, to be very far away from me. <laughs> All right. So, so let's keep moving. Oh, yeah. sorry. Can, no, no, I'm moving on. That's what Can I was Can we talk yeah. about my favorite character? Is, is it, it Jareth? Ludo? It is Ludo. <laughs> we Ludo. both asked different ones. Ludo. I, Ludo. Ludo is the lovable giant of the film. I liked Ludo. He's probably the one person I actually laughed at at one point, and I don't remember what it was that he said, but is I laughed it out loud. Ludo no. smells yes. bad. <laughs> smell <So laughs> like bad. five times. When they're in the swamp. Yeah. Um, but so here's a question when they're in the swamp and Sarah's about to fall off of a vine thing, yes. he calls the rocks to come save her. Yes. Oh yeah. When we meet him, he's being tortured by somebody and is not saving himself, but rolls a rock over to Sarah to let her throw it at them. Why can he not just call the rocks to roll around and smash the people like he does at the because end? Because Ludo doesn't want to hurt anyone. Also, he kind of only ever does it to save his friends yes. or like to help his friends. And see, that, that was kind of my point. It seems more like he does, he uses the powers yeah. more to help other people and not exactly. for himself. Yes. I, I don't, yeah, I don't feel like Ludo is aggressive in any way. I have the 
this theory that Ludo is a baby of a species. Ooh, interesting. Because he acts like he doesn't, he like the way he talks and stuff, it's very, very simplistic. And it's very, very like, it's it's how little kids talk. And the way he acts, yeah. it's almost like a puppy. Like, right. it's, I think so he's a baby. So my interpretation is Jim Henson has a history of kind of humanizing monsters. Yes. This type of character appears in other Henson products. He's like a Where this is the, the type of monster kids would be frightened of under their bed or in their closet and they're showing kids what this monster looks like and hey look the monster's actually nice he's the snuffleupagus or the sully in later not that jim henson was that but definitely that type of character yeah yeah so for for that's who ludo is to me our audience who cannot see this i have a tiny stuffed ludo that i am currently holding and i love him yes it is seven feet tall she is (laughs) a tiny seven foot tall stuffed ludo yes it's tiny for ludo yeah, exactly. Ludo's actually eight foot tall. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ludo seems like one of the simpler characters, but he's incredibly lovable. He's um, He doesn't get much of an arc. He's kind of who he is the entire time, but he's a lovable monster, and he's like a dog in this film. He is, there's even though a there scene, is a real dog. There's a scene that I love when Sarah is talking to the door knockers. She hands Ludo the little knocker so she can talk to the one who keeps the knocker in his mouth. And she turns around and Ludo has put the knocker in his jaw. And she's like, oh, I'm a door now. It and is very, just, like I said, so very adorable. childlike. Yeah. Where he's like learning things and doing, I, just, I love Ludo. Yeah. Also, he's my so... favorite band is also named after Ludo. Okay. Called Ludo. <laughs> wow. <don't> say. <laughs> they and really stretched that name huh? and their album cover has a little ludo on it yeah uh, ludo may be my favorite character in the film just because he is so lovable he is my favorite main character i've never him. met anyone who's had a problem with ludo no He's mark just do you have worst. a problem with no, do you have I'm a problem <laughs> with ludo i just have to have a All problem right. with him just because you said that but no he i other than that thing that I just thought of that this morning, too, I was like, you know, I was looking over the notes and I was like, well, wait a minute, but why wouldn't Ludo just have saved himself at that point? But that's, that's because fair. he's a good boy. Yeah. And plus, I don't feel like he thought he was in that much danger. The The part where he calls all the rocks at the end, he's fighting like a hundred creatures at once. Um, so um, I don't know. He was definitely get it. He was definitely in trouble in a trap, but I don't think it was life threatening at that point. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on to the third person in her squad, uh, Sir Didymus, the Bridge Guardian. Uh, I would say of the three, he might be my least favorite, just because he's he's, he's kind so of like almost comic relief because he just has all the yeah. little one liners that, and some of them are just throwaway lines that I, I didn't like care Sir about. Didymus. Yeah, it's like he's so over the top, and I don't love over the top characters. I like Sardinimus. He's a, he's either a fox or some sort of like. He is a fox. Although the internet says he might be a fox terrier. I disagree. My Jim Henson book calls him a fox. Good. He has a dog. He does have a dog who suspiciously looks like Sarah's dog. Not your dog, Sarah and the movie dog. Because they are Which, the exact same dog. Well, they double cast a dog? They double cast a dog? This again goes back to the puppets we mentioned earlier because there's at least one or two points where it's a real yes. dog and then there's other points where it's a puppet dog. Correct. And 
I was kind of at one point like, was that the real dog? But then huh, there's one right. scene where it's obviously like, well, that was a yeah, we're but... shivering from the giant monster. <laughs> but <laughs> there's a couple scenes like like one, at first it looked like a real dog, which it was, and then like the next cut was him riding on the puppet dog, and I was like, but I thought it was real, so I had to like kind of second guess myself, but. Yeah. It kind of and obviously love, is the puppet when it's a puppet. I love that about the creature shop is that you aren't quite sure, even when they do animals, whether they're real or whether they're the animatronic. Because they, they did this for Babe. They did this for Mighty Joe Young. Uh, and in a sense, they did it for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. So, like, <laughs> shh, Sorry. Shh, shh. Anyway, uh, but... The reason I don't love Sir Dynamis is that he's at 100% all the time. There's a point where they're sneaking, they're trying to sneak into the Goblin City, and he's shouting at the top of his lunge, challenging these goblins to a fight that he can't win. So he doesn't have any tact. I don't think he has any battle strategy. He just has heart in a fight. And I think that's supposed to be the comedy of it, that he's still confident that he's going to win, even when he's just standing there by himself. Hey, look, he's we almost have... this like Don Quixote character. Yeah, yeah. I pictured Tilting it as it um, the Black Knight from Monty Python. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like and also because he's standing on the bridge like the one right. guy from Robin Hood. So but yeah, they meet him out in the woods. And I pictured the, that Black Knight because he wants to fight everybody and won't let them pass. Yeah, he has sworn a blood oath to protect this bridge. Uh, he can't let anyone cross without his permission. Uh, which is Apparently a, no one else has ever asked for his permission. Yeah, I guess. Because he, he really questions whether or not he can give someone permission. <laughs> uh, but no, I think the character is... Um, the, the puppet's well done. I think the, the character is not someone I align with, but is probably more entertaining to children. Uh, I liked in the fight scene where he has, like, the joust off between the, the goblins and whatnot. Um, let's see. I think of this squad is certainly great. I think these characters are all very well done. The team that she builds is really cool. Uh, I want to go into talking about the moving through a labyrinth because this is something that is really intriguing to me because I love puzzles and this thing is full of puzzles there are i love that there are like secret passageways that are hidden doors that you need to find there are logic problems that you need to solve to progress uh and you also encounter uh these wonderful side characters which we can spend time talking about sarah why don't we talk about your i assume favorite character of the worm the worm <laughs> tell the us worm. about the worm just a helpful worm that <laughs> the helps worm is her. just a worm the worm just a worm nah, just a worm just a he's worm. not really not that helpful though all he does is yeah. say i can't do anything no he points her to the hole in the wall also he offers her tea mark he does so sarah's confused because she thinks she's just going down an endless corridor and that there are no walls and and no turns twister turns no yeah. twister turns and no any sort of, it's just a long, long, straight hallway. And the worm is the first person to give her any sort of help in the labyrinth. And he is literally just a tiny worm. A tiny cockney worm. <laughs> and he's, I don't know, he's just, he's yeah, just so I, non-assuming. Right. I love that 
he is just living in this world. He's not there to really help anybody. This is just what he does on a daily basis. He's just a he, worm. He offers anybody he sees to come and meet the missus. And have uh, a cup of tea. Yeah. He's just a nice guy but who's he does, trying to have tea. He does give her a very useful thing of advice is that yes. things are not what they seem and you have to look at things in a different way. And so she starts to be able to see what to her seems like a solid brick wall is actually not a wall and it is the first like hole where she can make a turn and i love this because i i still can't tell how they did this it's one of two ways it's either forced perspective where the back wall uh just lines up perfectly with the front wall or it's done digitally i can't determine which one it is but you literally cannot see it till she moves in front of it. Right. She walks a little further than you think she uh, should be able to and then is able to walk and find a turn. And I think the, the worm finishes with a joke that, don't go that way. Oh, my God, if she went that way, she would have gone right to the castle. But <laughs> I honestly yeah. think that's actually helpful for her because if she went to the castle alone without meeting any of her friends, she would not have completed the labyrinth. No. And she would not have learned anything. Yeah. So the other puzzles I liked were um, when she encounters, like, the card people in front of the doors. Because it's a classic logic problem uh, of one of us always tells the truth, one of us always Which lies. Which is a logic puzzle that I one hate. question. Because I can never remember what the question is you're supposed to ask. Oh, Sarah, it's very simple. I and know. I can explain it to <laughs> you I- if you like. I know it's very simple, and I know there's a specific question you're always supposed to ask, and then I always forget it. Well, the the variant of this puzzle I love is... it something is... about, like, what would the other person yeah. say? Or... Yes, yes, that's what she that's does, what... which we'll get into. But the, the variant of the puzzle I love is where there's one person who always lies, one person always tells the truth, and a third person who kills anybody who asks tricky questions. So, you're right. The simple solution is that if you ask one of them, you're either going to get a truth or a lie, and you don't know which it is. So you ask, you include another person in that. So she asks, well, what would the other person tell me? Because she knows she's going to get one truth and one lie. Anything, Any answer she gets is going to be the opposite of the answer she wants. The, um, the solution I like is instead of asking what the other person would say, you ask them, well, if I asked you this, what would you say? Because then... It's either a truth and a truth or a lie and a lie, and they cancel each other out. So whatever they tell you is the answer. If one person always tells the truth and one person always lies. Yes. Couldn't you just ask him, what color are my socks? Well, you can only ask him one question. And the the color of your socks would not help you progress here. (laughs) (laughs) But then you would know. And then I could just feel satisfied in my life. (laughs) My point here is she solves it correctly. Yeah. She She gets the right answer. No, yes, okay, so she does, and then she still falls down the hole, right? Yes, but (laughs) the other problem I have with this is she falls down the hole of helping hands. And then she goes down! Yeah, why did she choose down? She she saw the castle, she knew it was on a level plane of where she was. If anything, she should go back up. But But then she'd be right where she just was. But I'm right in saying she shouldn't have fallen down the hole in the first place, right? She made the right choice, right? Yes. Okay, because I, at one point in my life when watching this movie, figured out the riddle and went, yeah, she went in the right door, and then she fell down the hole, and I'm like, no, what happened? 
Well, I think if she had just told the helping hand to go back send up, me, send me back up, she could have just kept going straight. But no, she goes down yes. and she goes into the oubliette. For, for I thought a, this was a, a dead end where she ran into them, so she couldn't have just gone back up and gone. Yeah. To so, the thing. but couldn't the she have gone in the other door? The really confusing part here uh, is huh, she goes forward, finds a dead end, turns around, uh, then turns around again, and the dead end is now the doors. And behind her is the dead end. So, like, she's in a weird spatial awareness problem. And, uh, and... But <laughs> when she opens the door, it is a tunnel. And you can see light on the end of the tunnel. And uh, so she walks forward thinking she's going to get out of the tunnel. And she falls down the hole. So she could just go back up. Just go back up. Yeah, just up. go back up. You can go to the end of the tunnel. Yes. But there was a period in my life where this scene just drove me nuts. This is my problem with Sarah is that she knows before starting the labyrinth that the castle is at the highest point. Yes, it's and not yet, in a hole. consistently, she chooses the wrong direction to go. Maybe she, she has just terrible didn't... spatial awareness. Maybe these hands were just a little pervy Carl, and she didn't want them touching her anymore. Nothing in the labyrinth is as it seems. Maybe the castle is at the lowest level. Yeah, maybe the way back is the way forward, like that <laughs> wizard said. But guess what? That wasn't the truth. Maybe, it, well, it is an M.C. Escher castle. Who knows how you get there? <laughs> uh, she she encounters more problems. The the other knocker doors, I love the way that she solves that, where she knows she has to take uh, the knocker out of the one who has it in his mouth so that she can actually have a conversation, and then she has to trick him into putting the knocker back in his mouth. I thought that was a really neat puzzle. Those knockers really well are done. really cool looking. Yeah. I also, the thing that stuck with me is that she tries to do it smart and mark her path with lipstick. And yet the people living in the labyrinth don't allow that. And they flip over the stones or shift them into different oh, directions. Oh, I love that little guy. Cause like one of the, he's like mumbling. And then it's like, your mother's a <laughs> 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 So funny. He's like, what was that in Willow? There was like the yeah. race of oh, the brownies. People. The brownies. The brownies. Yeah, he looks yes. like a brownie. Yeah. So I also love the fleshed out side characters. I, I mentioned the wizard guy yeah. um, who has a talking bird hat. The bird hat. I love the bird yeah. hat. Yeah. I want a bird I, hat. I really like this guy in that he is what you would expect to find in a fantasy land, like this old sage giving out riddles uh, as wisdom and then like not being that helpful at all. He, in in a weird thing of coming from a script from a, a Monty Python person, he reminds me of Tim the Wizard from Holy <laughs> Grail. Yeah. Of just being not useful at all. <laughs> no. But vaguely mystical, but not useful. The other side character I love is when Sarah breaks out of the bubble. She goes into the land of junk. and The, the trash the, lady? The trash lady who carries around all of well, her possessions on her back. In talking about things that made me vaguely uncomfortable, the trash lady makes me just, there's, there's just such foreboding in this character. In, such, in a way that it's supposed to be. Like, the way that her trap works is so good because it's such an easy trap to fall into. Because if Carl, you want to explain how this works? Sure. And then yeah. the way that she laughs at everyone after like every sentence. Oh. <laughs> so this reminded me a lot of a running thing in Fight Club where the, the things that you own end up owning you. So what her trap works is she, le she gives Sarah one of her possessions from her room and then leads her to a mock-up of her room and then just starts handing her 
all of her stuff and piling her stuff on top of her, basically making Sarah exactly what she is so that Sarah would carry around all of her possessions with her. And there's this like moment where Sarah kind of like, yeah, this is the moment where Sarah kind of almost forgets that she's still in the labyrinth because she's in this mock-up of her room and she's like, oh, I'm home. It was a dream. Part of it was also the, the peach yes. made her forget her goal. Uh, but this is the heart of the film for me in that, she could easily live with all of her stuff, which is what she wanted to do at the beginning of the movie, with and go on life without her brother. But she abandons her possessions and goes back and remembers she's here to find her brother because her yeah. brother is more important than all the junk that she has acquired over there's, her life. There's this sense of being able to, she with being this, having the new stepmom and having the new half-brother and all this stuff, of wanting at this age of, I think she's supposed to be maybe 15 or 16. Yeah. Wanting to go back to before and having this transition of, of, no, Toby is my family. He is part of this, what I want to protect. I don't need to go back to this. This is, this is what I want. I want him to come back with me. St I, yes. No, I, I actually... So she goes through the labyrinth, all of these puzzles, and this was about the point that I had completely forgotten she even had a brother. So I guess <laughs> it fits because she eats the peach and forgets her quest, and then she remembers and reminds the audience. But I, th there was a point where it just seemed like she's here in this puzzle wandering around because she just happened to get there somehow, and I forgot that there was some other plot going on, so... <laughs> wait, wait, you forgot the impetus of the film? Exactly. The reason she's trying uh, again, to solve why, the labyrinth? why I was concerned about the story of this, the plot kind of just got lost in the middle of it to me, because she's there, and then she runs into the fire lees and all this nonsense out there, and had nothing to do with the main story, it was just her wandering around... Oh, because my understanding is her driving force is she has to get to the end. She has to get to the end because of her brother. But you always know she's trying to get through this thing. And so she is going through the maze the way a person goes through when you don't know which way you're supposed to go. She's trying different paths and she's running into all of these dangers because that just happened what to be what lives in the labyrinth. So I will say the... I agree with Carl. One of the of problems I have with the film <laughs> is you're never quite sure how much time she has left. True. It, it does kind of seem like uh, we're not seeing all of her journey because hours pass in what on screen time is minutes. So it, it implies that some of the scene changes, she spent a lot of time giving from point A to point B and we're just not seeing that. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't help that every area of the labyrinth has different lighting rules. Mm -hmm. So, like, the land of trash is always dark, it seems like. It's very, like, because the trash piles are so high and everything like that, it's very dark. She spends a lot of time underground at one point, almost getting eaten by a trash compactor. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about that scene because that was terrifying. <laughs> Big loud noises. Yeah, Good. The, um, what do they call it? The chomper or something? Yeah, in the oubliette. That's how I learned the word oubliette. Yeah, it's a fun word. So you send people when you don't want to see oh, them. Oh, there's a part of the oubliette that I love, which is uh, Hoggle comes in and helps her get out. But the way he does this is by this really neat door trick that is in a single shot where 
he's looking at a blank wall. He picks up a door off the ground, puts it against the door, opens it one way, and it's a closet, closes it, opens it the other way, and it's become a pathway. Oh, yeah. That's really Which, cool. Which, if you're looking for it, you could see how they did it, but it's an amazing trick that is a, a practical effect done in a single shot. And we've talked about how much I love practical effects. Um, but, um, and then, like, the swamp and things like that, they're all, like, foggy and stuff like that. And so there's no real sense of, like, how the light is changing because the rules are always different in the different things. I wish there was, like, a bail, belt, bail, a bail, a map, a bail, a bail, a bail, a bell, a bell tolling, a southern bail. A bell tolling or like an ominous yeah. voice I mean, or something. They did show the clock every now and then, but yeah. we didn't know. Right. I don't. But like it wasn't hours passed. It was just like sometimes. this is how many hours you have, but we didn't know what the hands yeah. were going to show at when her or time like, ran. Well, out. presumably it started at thirteen o'clock. I think if it gets around to thirteen o'clock again, that's the end. I think that was at the the final moment when she beats Jareth. It rings the thirteenth hour. Yeah. But they could have had a larger. The other problem I have is as she is progressing through this labyrinth, the castle where Jareth is always looks the same. It always seems to be the same distance away, so we never really get a sense of how close or far she is from her end goal. Actually, I kind of like that because it always seemed like She's maybe she's making progress. Maybe she isn't. Actually, I kind of liked it, would have liked it if it was in random places each time. Like it was farther away and then closer and then farther away again. That would have been interesting. But I I think they use the same image for the castle is my point. Which it seems like it should shift somehow. There wasn't actually, like you weren't actually getting any closer. You just had to solve it and then like magically you were there. Oh, interesting. You're bringing in magic, huh? Yeah, dance magic. Well, I mean, he oh, already okay. brought in magic, so the I guess the other oh, we never part about the bubble dream. <laughs> well, the other part, the trouble I have with this is the there are transitions uh, that maybe don't make as much sense as they could, but it's a fantasy land. Like when she gets out of the bubble, she falls for some reason, even though she fell asleep in a woods. She falls from the bubble, and then she's in the land of junk. Uh, and then you could just apparently walk out of the land of junk, just like you can walk out of the eternal bog of stench. Well, I assume <laughs> she was literally in the bubble, and the okay. bubble was transporting her maybe to Cause, Jareth? Because to me, that seemed like so much of a dream sequence. Yeah. Because she, I mean, granted, the bubble does come find her after she falls asleep eating the fruit. Yeah, I but... think she was in the bubble. But she changes, like, costume. She changes, like, uh, she forgets everything. I thought the, the whole ball was, um, like, a dream. I think, but I, I, th- I thought I think it was the, a dream I also. think it was a dream, but okay. I think maybe she was but also. like, a real dream. I, but, but I think maybe it was a dream, but also she was. So, the masquerade was a dream. But I okay. also think maybe her body was in the oh. bubble and it was transporting her somewhere. Maybe to the beginning of the labyrinth, maybe to somewhere else in the labyrinth, maybe to like back to the oubliette, who knows. But then when she broke out of it in the dream, she also broke out of it in real life. I don't know, do you die in the you die in the game, you die in real life. You you break the bubble in the dream, you break it and then she fell. Where that's where the bubble was when she broke out of it. I don't know. <laughs> I like the bubble scene. It's got a really cool dress and a really cool song. Does it? Mark 
Don't you dare. I was not a fan of the music in this movie, if you can't tell. but <laughs> Mark Mark doesn't get an opinion. That's a really great song. When the world, uh, is it so, when the world fall down, is that one? Well, here's what I here's And what it's I a didn't... great dress. She has a fantastic dress. I want to get married it in It is that a dress. great dress. She has a bunch of fake hair. <laughs> yes. So, Actually, I don't think that's fake. I think they just teased the heck out of it. I think just a lot of hairspray and a lot of backcombing. <laughs> the problem I have with that song in particular is... And Carl made a point about this earlier before she even came to the labyrinth mm-hmm. is that Jareth was in love with her or trying to be in love with her or something, yes. which I apparently had missed completely because my thing was, hey, he's the bad guy. He stole this baby. Now he's making her do this test to get it back. He doesn't care about her at all. And now suddenly he's in love with her during this scene I don't think and singing love songs I don't think he stole the baby. I think all of those are... Fantasy I mean, rules. She asked for him to take the baby. Yes. yes. But right. I, I then he wouldn't give it back, which I, don't I think guess those is are, part I don't of think, the rules, maybe. Yeah, I don't but, think those yes. are necessarily his rules. I think those I are think the rules he, of the world. If he brings a baby into a world, he cannot just give the baby back. Yes. I um, think those are like the rules set about by the rules like the rules of the labyrinth. Well, so either this way, will... I was not aware until this song that he it was supposed to be a love story between the two and of I them. And I don't necessarily it think it is. I think there is you can read it as a romantic subtext. I think a lot of it is so I mean, I like this it as a romantic subtext. So is this creepy to you because him being like 40 years old to her 15? No. Um, not necessarily. Yeah, it's David Bowie. I, well, <laughs> it's because it's David Bowie. But I also think there's something about Jareth that is almost otherworldly. He's mm-hmm. like he's like a weird alien. He's out of yeah. time. He is he has no age. He is he is he is ageless and voidless and anyway. But that's not the point. Voidless. <laughs> I, I think. Beyond whether or not there's a romantic subtext, I think a lot of the bubble dream and a lot of the stuff thing, a lot of I think is a distraction. He's attempting to keep her from reaching the center of the maze. Yes. And that's what the bubble dream is happening. Whether you're re- you read there's a romantic subtext or not, I like there because as a teen, to say there's a romantic subtext because teenage me was there very, is. very lonely. The song is about falling in love. So I believe there is giving their confrontation at the end because Jareth complains that he has done everything for her. He has bent time and space for this world to give her what she wanted. He took took her brother for her uh, and he is so desperate for her to worship him. It's the original Twilight. But I think there's something... Let's not bring Twilight into this. There's something almost universal... about this idea, and as a as a very very lonely high school girl <laughs> who had no social life Aww. and read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, there there is something universal about having this kind of mythical, eternal kind of like ethereal creature like come and want to do things for me. I think that's kind of every nerdy girl fantasy, right? Oh yeah, but then she sure. turns yeah. him down anyway. How much of an idiot is she? Yeah, yeah because <laughs> she learned to love her brother. Yeah, and herself. There, there's. There's some sorts of love more powerful than getting a hot elf boyfriend. There's very few, but yes, I would agree. (laughs) All right, Mark, we have talked about the puppetry. We have talked about the characters. We have talked about the plot. If we ever make merchandise, I'm putting that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Great. So let's, before we move on to the final thing here, are there any other things that you had a problem with in this film 
or have we already talked about them? Well, we haven't gotten to the MC Escher scene yet. <laughs> again, right, there that's were, at the, that is at the very end. There were we not a lot of problems that. with that other than, again, I didn't care for the song that much. All right. So, so is your main but, problem in this movie the songs? No. I So like I said at the beginning, I did not really follow a main plot on this. It seemed like it kept flopping between different storylines because originally she's going in there to get her brother, half-brother, step-brother, whatever, and then she gets sidetracked by all these things, which I think is the point. But it just kind of, I had, you know, like I said, I you completely forget what the point of it was until she comes back from the peach and is like, oh, yeah, I have a brother. So huh. I just felt like it was a story of her wandering around meeting all these creatures. And most of them had no effect on the story at all because she just went through the thing until the end. So, hmm, I would say uh, the whole point, every part, every um side character a person she meets is all her solving the labyrinth so beginning of the film she has to go to the labyrinth to solve her brother which you don't remember that she has a brother which is fine but you do know she has to solve the labyrinth that is the driving force the the entire time so she's always got to get across a bridge or through a door or um help people that she encounters along the way everything is an effort to getting closer to the castle Yes. So, I mean, if you're looking for a plot, it doesn't get any com- any more complicated than that. That's that's it. Which I think having a simple plot allows them to go and uh, explore the side characters a bit more. Ha- it allows her to find more random and encounters maybe along the way. that was the, the issue for me, I guess, with the addition of so many little side characters. Maybe it just kind of makes everything confused instead of just saying, here's this girl with these few people she met. Now she's going through. Here's the enemies. Here's the good people. I don't know. I just, there were a lot of other things that she encounters that I just couldn't tell what they had to do with anything, particularly the Fire Lee things where they sing this song and then she goes on and nothing nothing affects the rest of the story. From but I that. think if she hadn't had those encounters, what would she have been doing? Just sitting just, there? Just or- walking? Just walking in a maze. Well, you know, if pathways. the worm was actually a helpful character, it would have just said, uh, hey, the worm go to was the a castle, helpful character. and then she's done. <laughs> she would have just been work- walking in a straight line if she hadn't met the worm. So, Mark, I will say a lot of the characters she meets are neither good nor evil. They just, they just happen to be there. in this world. They're part of the world building. Like, I would say like even the, the fireies who try to take off her head, they're not trying to be evil. They're a species who hasn't experienced anything else in their life. As they understand it, every creature in the world can take off their head. And so they're just trying to help this new person take off their head for the first time. (laughs) Like, they're not trying to be mean. I think they're just... Yeah, they're neither good nor evil. They they're kind of chaotic neutral. No, I, and I, yeah, I get it. I don't know. It's... And I can't believe you said the worm was not helpful. She would have never seen that hole in the wall. It's true. She, she would have been, been constantly... stuck in that long pathway. But if it would have told time. her which way to go, she would have just been straight to the castle and been done. He didn't know she was trying to get to the castle. She yeah, never told he him. Didn't know that. That's uh... true. She just knew she wanted to get out of the hallway. So I guess, yeah, what I like about it is probably I what you alert. don't like about it. Where I like that it's not an incredibly complicated plot that it doesn't get too caught up with itself. I know that she needs to solve this maze and everything is in service to that. And she meets people along the way. And it's got some kicking jam. I would say I liked some of the songs. <laughs> Within you is a fantastic song. 
I I appreciate David Bowie's voice, even though I don't listen to a lot of his music. I will is that I will remind you that Within You is the one that happens at the very end in the MCU. Oh, okay. Uh, the Dream World one was okay. I like that one, but it's kind of a romantic poppy ballad, so. And even the, uh, the M.C. Escher one is also about being in love with her, but her n- it's almost like him singing about unrequited love, and he doesn't understand why she doesn't love him. It's very much, I did all this stuff for you, and you are an ungrateful little brat. Yes. But it's just a good song outside of it being in the movie. I see, and again, it just felt like, they could have put any character, any any actor as a Goblin King, and instead, let's fit in this one guy just because we no, want to hear him no, no, sing no. some no, songs. No, no, no. I like David Bowie's acting and things. I really liked him in The Prestige. Right, I, I, I didn't say he did a bad job. I'm just saying they could have had it be anyone, and it felt like it was just a reason to have someone in there so they could sing some songs. Okay. You're looking at it the wrong way because that's not the way that they approached it. It was always supposed to have music. They didn't cast David Bowie and then have Bowie songs in the film. They wanted to have songs in the film and decided, well, why don't we cast a rock star who can actually sing? And so they always approached it as the Goblin song is going to do these songs. We get, we better get someone who can act and sing. Yeah. It was never going to be just an actor. Right. Whether it was David Bowie, it was Sting... It was, oh, Michael Jackson. Sure. I will say... Hey, it worked out in Captain EO, so don't complain. I, for the majority of my childhood, thought Captain EO was a female captain. Yeah. I am not even kidding. Angelica uh, Houston is real good in Captain EO, though. But, Mark, to your point, I would say a lot of the songs in this film kind of detract from the story i would say while i love dance the magic dance just it's kind of its own thing it doesn't it's not about sarah solving the maze which is what this whole movie is about i think it's about trying to convince toby he should stay there which is a little weird for how young they cast toby a lot of the like the plot where they deal with toby it feels like toby should be more of a toddler yeah though i think uh, I forget whose child it is. Yeah, it's it's one of the production people's child. And yeah. the funniest thing is that that kid is now a puppeteer. Yeah, of course he is. No, because I think they tried other kids in the role, and this kid was the only person who didn't cry when be surrounded by goblins. Yeah, because it might he was have just so been used like to the costumes. A, a, a baby is just more easy to like tote around than like a toddler. But it just felt like the way they talk about the character felt more like an age of a child that had more complicated emotion, but but you can, like, throw a baby up in the air in fun ways. Except that probably wasn't a real baby <laughs> when they started doing the really high throws. Oh, it definitely, definitely was Also, not. in that scene with Dance Magic Dance, those baby noises are not a baby. No, no, no they're not. No, they're, they're David Bowie. It's oh, David gross. Bowie making baby noises. Weird. I don't know. He had kids at that point in time. He was probably used to making weird baby noises towards them. Probably. And now his son is a famous director. But the other songs I could think of, the one of the, the Dream World, I thought detracted from it, made that scene longer than it could have been. That is a great song. You can get out of uh, here. And the one of the MC Escher painting, uh, while I liked it, it also went, al- it went on a little longer than it could have for you this You can leave film. my house. I'm not in your house. <laughs> get out of here. I, I have left your house. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> yeah one long time ago anyway but i kind of i can see your point that 
not everything that she encounters has to do with her journey. It just happens to be something she encounters along the way. I like it because it's world building for this film and it, it allows me to see more of Jim Henson's work. All right, so let's, let's get back into it. Uh, we were talking about Bowie's songs, but why don't we move on to the, the end we're, of this we're film? We're never going to reach a conclusion on that. Yeah, this is no. the M.C. Escher of podcasts. There's no beginning, there's no end. This has been going on forever and will continue till the end of time. Anyway, um, let's talk about Goblin City, Sex, this baby. fight scene. I loved this fight scene. <sighs> The fact, like, they show off even new puppets they haven't seen before. I love the puppets where it's, like, goblins riding something, where it's clearly one man who has the, whose legs are in the horse and whose arms are in the, um, the goblin part. I think that would make, like, a really fun Halloween costume, just to be, like, this jousting goblin. Uh, I love that Ludo calls the rocks, and the rocks effects are really well done. Yes, where uh, you can tell that some of it was shot in reverse, uh, but shown it the way it is in the film, rocks are going up hills and jumping inside of cannons, definitely giving you the sense that somebody is controlling these things. Um, yes. This is after the giant knight yes, thing? Yes, after what they call Humongous here. I think that's the giant's name. I So, yeah, that thing, it was a cool effect, and like you said, it was like that rubber costume thing. Yeah. And, of course, sound effects make a bunch of noise like it's a big metal wall or something that comes together. But the some of the choreography on that was a little boring to me because yeah. it's hard to do with a giant puppet thing and another giant puppet fighting it, I think. But some of it was like you could they were editing the scene so that you see one guy swinging an axe and then you see the other guy duck as the axe goes by or something like that. So it was kind of obvious boring fighty fighting choreography but i mean it worked for the puppet see i i like the stuff after that a lot more that fight scene this one seems like it's a really neat idea um and well executed in for the time i don't think this part has held up particularly well uh because the really neat idea is that two sides of this robot are on the either side of doors that are closing and then the doors come together and this robot steps out of it and i like the kind of meta-ness where this giant thing is actually like a puppet that's being controlled by another puppet inside of him i mean you get hoggle's redemption here but i would agree that the fighting the choreography here it Nothing happens, really. <laughs> the thing moves so slow that they don't really have to dodge. Yeah. It's a little goofy. Yeah. I would say this, maybe not the best part of the film by far. Uh, well, let's move on <laughs> to the, the very end, which is this MC Escher painting, which apparently has Sarah's favorite song in the film. We already talked about it. We won't go back. <laughs> All right. David Bowie sings a song, and she finds Toby. The end. <laughs> yeah. It's visually pretty cool. Visually, yeah. it's stunning. They do a really neat effect where, like, David Bowie is walking on, like, the ceiling or he's walking underneath her and does, or, like, like, this... around fl- and, like, Yeah, around. does this flip-around move to get on her level. Um, I like the showdown at the end where... Because this is, I think, the story that Sarah has been following is the story that she's familiar with from the book The Labyrinth. And so it, to... it, it almost feels like it's this folktale come to life. Like she's been reading almost this kind of um, um, 
Grimm's fairy tale, and she's following the rules of this kind of um, legend or something like that. And what basically she's come to is she's come face to the go- with the Goblin King, and she doesn't know what to do. And she it finally kind of occurs to her, she's got to play by the rules of the world. And she's got to recite the old world <laughs> rules or whatever. And it's, it's basically the monologue from the beginning. The, the old world road rules. Uh, <laughs> which road rules the line is, you world? have no power over me. I don't know how she doesn't remember yeah. this. But it is the end line from the monologue at the beginning. Yeah, it's almost as if, like this weird otherworldly creature who wasn't the Goblin King yet, found out what she wanted, what story she would believe, and she believes this Goblin King story because she's just been reading it. And so that thing assumed the form of the Goblin King and needs her to believe in this world or it'll be destroyed. It turns out he's not David Bowie. He's actually, like, three of those other Goblin puppets in a David Bowie trench coat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wonderful. It would have been a be- an interesting alternative ending if, like, when she said, you have no power over me, he had just unzipped and then it, like, tumbled out. <laughs> and and that brings up a point just... that I was wondering about. So I, I thought about what, what you were saying earlier, like the dream sequence where almost the whole movie would be a dream, but it's it's more like the whole movie is her not reading the book, I guess, but telling the story to someone else. So you're not even, it's not anything that's even actually happening to her. You're just seeing her imagination of the story. Right. And that'll definitely come up in my games. It def- I definitely got that sense as well, where it's kind of her growing up. It's a coming of age story where she, she learns to love her brother more than her possession. So she's getting out of that phase of childhood and starting to become an adult and realizing that the relics of her childhood are not, like, sacred anymore, and she can share them with other people. So, yeah, I could definitely see this as, you know, her having a dream that was very powerful and that changing the course of her life. I would say uh, the the very, very end is the most confusing part to me. Actually, shoot. Yes. I take that back. So she defeats Bowie. She finds herself back at home with Toby, gives Toby her teddy bear, uh, signifying, I'm going to pass this on to you. I don't need to hold on to it myself. And she gets back to her room. And this is the another part of the heart of the film for me, because she sees her friends from that world in the mirror, and they let her know, we're still going to be here should you ever need us. And that's part of the growing up that she does, is she's abandoning her toys and possessions from childhood, but they're going to be there for her when she needs them. They're always going to be a part of her. Abandoning them doesn't mean that she loses them forever. It's the Toy Story 3 ending. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And so she very wisely says, I know that I'm going to need you. There may be some days that I need you, and I don't even know why, but I still need you in my life. I need you right now. Uh, and that's where they have this giant dance party, which which doesn't make sense to me, is that they have, they've brought everybody yeah. uh, to this dance party. You get the panhandling wizard. You get the goblins, which are apparently friends now. You get the fireies. Yeah, in they'll dance to with everyone. 
Uh, yeah, in addition and to her three wasn't friends. Wasn't she supposed to be going downstairs, like, for supper time or something? Because her mom had just come in and said it was time no. for something. Food can wait. Dancing now. She's got a point. Also, when she gets back, it rings midnight. That's so true. So I guess the implication is that dinner is coming past. <laughs> anyway, I think that's going to wrap up long form. Let's go on to games. game is the Fitch game where we put together two or more properties in the form it's this meets this to describe this film so i am going to start us off telling you what the labyrinth is in terms of other things so since this movie features a girl going on an adventure in a fantasy land meeting worm-like creatures giving advice talking playing card people and a party that wants to take off her head and a Jim Henson product showing off cutting-edge costumes and puppetry, where a story comes to life with dark fantasy overtones, but a lot of heart and charm. You this is seen that movie. Alice in Wonderland meets Jim Henson's The Storyteller. Oh, The Storyteller. I thought you were going to say Dark Crystal. Well, I haven't, I haven't seen, seen either Dark of Crystal. those, so... I've seen both of those. Although, yeah, the fr okay, so now, now are you referring to... The Johnny Depp one or the animated? Oh, oh, right. Okay. Uh, the better one, the cartoon. <laughs> I will say about half of the Johnny Depp one is good and half is just drivel. I haven't seen the second film. one, which is I heard is even weirder, but... Yeah, I, I couldn't do it. It's a beautiful Any, film. Anyway. Danny Elfman puts in a great, great sounding soundtrack. What you got? Um, what you got? I'm going to do this one first because it sounds like it will steal one of Carl's. So, oh, you. <laughs> because it is a movie where uh, while the parents are away, a child is stolen from its bed by an evil leader from another world, which sets in motion a timed contest to win the child back while the evil man tries to turn the child to his ways. And it meets a movie about a teenage girl in a fantasy land far from home, full of strange creatures, with a magical nemesis who uses a crystalline orb to view our hero's movements. It is Hook meets Wizard of Oz. Ah, that does steal one of mine. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Sarah, what do you have? Just a second, I changed one. Ooh. Quickly. Those are so many words. I know. <laughs> um... She keeps partly because I the one I changed to. I was like, "Am I remembering the plot of that one correctly?" Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, a fantasy story that relies on the written word to defeat the evil at the end of a challenge meets a story that involves a young girl going into a fantasy land with weird characters and even weirder buildings. <laughs> this is. The never-ending story meets Mirror Mask. Ooh, I do really like Mirror Mask. Which was also, I think, a Jim Henson thing. <gasps> Guess what? Possibly. It was at least in the Jim Henson movie pack at Walmart I saw once, but then well, they didn't have it right. again, and I couldn't buy it. Well, that's one that Mark has never even heard of, so... Oh, oh you should watch it. <laughs> you well, said that actually, about Labyrinth, it, and we see how if that If you didn't up. like this film, you may not like Mirror Mask. How do you feel about Neil Gaiman? I love Neil Gaiman. It is, it is produced by Jim Henson Company. But right now, I'm really getting into Terry Pratchett, going through all the Discworld books. Ooh, Discworld. Anywho, Carl's uh, my two. next one. 
<clears throat> a fantasy tale taking place in the narrative of a book featuring characters falling down holes, a swamp no one wants to visit, and a pit of despair with secret entrances meets a property featuring a dark-haired hero going up against a powerful sorcerer, gathering much more powerful friends to fight for them, but insisting on going solo for the final battle. Also featuring a white owl character, a white-haired sage speaking in riddles who has a talking hat and a red bird for a friend, and people using the words hogwart and hogshead. (laughs) This is Princess Bride meets Harry Potter. But... I will also say, at the beginning of the film, the terrible CGI owl looks suspiciously like a golden snitch. Yeah, I did not... That was the first use, first use of CGI animals. Yeah. I specifically did not write that one down, even though I had thought of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad someone did. Yeah. I'm convinced J.K. Rowling pulled some of her stuff from this film. Like, she fleshed out her own world, don't get me wrong. But I think she took some inspiration and some of the names from this film. I think those weird bank goblins are stolen from <laughs> Hoggle. <laughs> They've got his personality. Definitely. Uh, All right, Mark, what you got? Oh, boy. So I'm trying to decide. Get your act together. Well, so the problem is I have two movies that are basically on the list for the exact same reason. And I'm trying to decide if I want to leave one of them off. So Just merge them together into a threesome. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, maybe I will do that. All right. So we have Mark. a movie that is uh, that has big budget special effects for the time and excellent puppetry mixed with a subpar story. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> Uh, mixed with a movie about where a famous musician appears as the leader of a band of miscreants, and with uh, a property where the male infant is taken from his family, the hero wanders a strange and dangerous landscape meeting many new characters, some of whom will join the hero and aid them in their quest. After the first few minutes, I have completely forgotten the infant exists and stopped caring about the main plot. This is Warriors of Virtue, Meets oh, God. Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End meets uh, Fallout 4. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I I honestly forget there's a baby in Fallout 4. Yep. <laughs> Sean? Is the baby named Sean? That's correct. Yeah. See, at least you've played the baby game, though. Broken. I'm wondering if any of the listeners baby, have never played baby that broken. game. They will have Mother no idea. Mother fixed baby with Crash Hulk. <sighs> Okay. Robot husband. Oh, is, Sarah has Robot another one of these, yes. Yes, Sarah, please go. Um, because it's got a lot of weird visuals mixing together and the likes, and especially the, the MC Escher castle, um, meets puppetry and dark imagery and things like that, we've got AHA's Take On Me music video <laughs> meets The Dark Crystal. <laughs> Oh, well done. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of Aha's take on I, I like how we are, the longer we do these, the more and more we start using oh, things that are not even mine. I love how obscure we are getting. <laughs> to be fair, picks. that one was almost Aha's take on me video meets um, RuPaul's Drag Race because of <laughs> David Bowie's eye makeup. Because in that. David, yeah. David Bowie's hair. And no, his eye makeup is okay. crazy. Well, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> so, a look behind the scenes for everyone listening. Sarah created these while we were going through long form. <laughs> yes. So, 
at, I had a <laughs> while they are obscured, a little weird. She did just make them as we were talking, which is quite impressive. So when I said that was almost RuPaul's Drag Race, it was almost RuPaul's Drag Race 15 minutes ago. <laughs> there you go. All right. So my final one. Since this is a movie with a girl protagonist on a journey across the land to see a wizard, meeting three companions along the way who help her on her journey, trying to avoid but eventually facing off against the evil magic user who wants to get her, and a property where a person is seeking a boy wearing a red and white striped shirt over many different settings and environments with colorful side characters trying to distract distract them from finding him. This is... Wizard of Oz meets Where's Waldo? <laughs> See, I'm not the only one this time. Oh, uh, just no. that's all I could think with Toby's outfit the entire movie. I have never seen a red and white striped shirt, sh- shirt that was not Where's Waldo or a pirate. Was that what was that one? Tarzan, where we had the pirates? Yeah, not pirates, sailors, and they had the tattoo that Sarah made a big deal about. It was just a heart. <laughs> Didn't even have an arrow or anything or say mom. It was so just a heart. My, He's really into false representations of anatomy. Did it even say like mother or anything? No, no it, was it was literally just, just a heart. A heart. It was supposed to imply that mother tattoo, but they so didn't flesh cute. it out all the way. Well, yeah, when you see anyway. it for like half a second. All right, so my but last one. it was long one, enough that I noticed Let Mark it. finish the game. <laughs> my, Never. We still have more to go. My last one. Uh... Well, you just wait and see. It's another movie I'm with a a musician playing music with the Muppets. Okay. John Denver and the Muppets. Meeting uh Crocodile Rock. Meeting a movie with excellent puppetry that like the colony of xenomorphs on LV426 makes me want to take off and nuke the site from orbit. <laughs> I have the Muppets meets aliens. <laughs> Great. I'm just great, waiting great. for Sarah to come punch me in the face. Great and good. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. I, I couldn't. Game. So, so I know I probably don't feel that intensely bad about this movie, but I thought of it at one point and it was too funny not to add it in. So. I think the only one I felt that intensely about is The Warriors of Rick. Oh, yeah. It's a bad film. I never said it was a good what about film. Ants? I said it was a weird film that I watched as a child. I was really into I'm so and scared of those kangaroos. I I had the toys of them, Sarah. <laughs> I played look, with these kangaroos. Did they look as weird as, as the toys? Uh, so the, all the well, they looked weirder <laughs> than the toys. The toys were basically Master Splinter five times in a different outfit. Yeah. Anywho, anyway. our second Splinter game is, not a is alternate tagline, a word or phrase you would see on the movie poster for this film, which encapsulates the theme, but hopefully misses the point. So all of my taglines this time have a theme. See if you can find the theme as we Wait, go through. Did we look up the real one? I didn't. Did you? Uh, Never. I did, but I didn't write it down. All right. <laughs> Thanks for interrupting with nothing. <laughs> Well, go ahead while Sarah Googles. I can Google. Uh, Mark, you can Google. Uh. Anyway, my first one has to do with that scene with the witch uh, where she is trying to give Sarah all of her possessions, but Sarah realizes something very important, and it's simply the labyrinth. Blood is thicker than junk. <laughs> I found the taglines. There's four. Um. All right. Give us the best one or two. A 
amazing tale uh. of never-ending fantasy. <laughs> See, I didn't have to come up with a pun for this one. Terrible, terrible, terrible. All right, one more. Let's do it. Where everything seems possible and nothing is what it seems. Ah, I kind of like that yeah. one. That does definitely fit. I also right. forgot that George Lucas was involved in this. Oh, yeah. He produced it, I think. Yeah, something like See, that. See, it's basically was... Captain EO in Fantasy World. Well, also, Jim Henson worked with him on Star Wars. Or at least some of the Henson company did. Frank Gaius was Yoda, and I'm pretty sure uh, they did they the did... puppetry. Yeah, they did puppet. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, and this would have been three years after um, Return of the Jedi. Anyway, Mark, go ahead. What do you got for tagline? Um, following Carl's theme, Labyrinth, come for Bowie's bulge, stay for the puppets. Hey, you found my theme. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, what do you have? Um, Labyrinth, don't trust the fairies, which was <laughs> something we didn't talk about. We didn't. Well, let's talk about them. They bite. That's it. That's why we didn't talk about it. There's not much to say. <laughs> but it just makes my tagline just sound really That's weird. That's true. Enough. I thought about doing the labyrinth don't trust fruit, but I didn't feel like that was strong enough. Anyway. Trust the fruit. You'll get a great dress. <laughs> my, I really like the dress. My second one uh, is uh, involves the fushiki that we talked about. Oh, no. Uh, it, is, it is the labyrinth. The best ball handling you'll ever see in a family film. Oh. Do you think ACDC agrees? Probably. Carl, Carl, Carl. All right, Mark, what do you got? <sighs> Again, following Carl's theme, Labyrinth. David Bowie plays with his balls. <laughs> it's it's right, great how Sarah ours is... just go right with each other the whole time. I'll just leave. It's almost like we have a singular focus in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if the main antagonist in the film had something that attracted our eyes and made us look at it the entire film. Uh, but my final one, I think it's going to wrap up this game. Oh, Sarah's done I'm already? Mistaken. She I only had one. one. No, I have one more. You have one more. Okay. Yeah. So, my final one. The Labyrinth. A tale of kidnapping and cod pieces. <laughs> okay, well, okay. I'm finally getting away from the theme, and this okay. is probably too long to be a tagline. The Labyrinth. Do you love the Muppets? Have you always wanted to try hallucinogenic drugs but feared the legal repercussions? Have we got a movie for you? Yeah, you're trying to, like, <laughs> late-night infomercial this film. Yep. <laughs> uh, moving on to our final game, which is the TV Guide Game, a description of the plot of the film you may see in a TV Guide or Netflix description, which is accurate but hopefully misses the point. I'm, again, going to start us off here. Uh, if I can find my games. All right. I've got <clears throat> a mashup of music videos from David Bowie's hot new conceptual album that keeps getting interrupted by a girl solving a maze or whatever. <laughs> so I wasn't the only one that thought we lost the plot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it's my turn, isn't it? It is. Long ago, in a land far, far away, a powerful sorcerer got trapped in a dangerous maze. After using his magic to convince a tribe of goblins that he is their king, he forces them to kidnap human children to ward off his loneliness. Ooh, I did not hear this one. <laughs> Which is a reference Neither did that any only of the we listeners. get. <laughs> You'll never um, know. Yes, we'll keep it a secret forever. <laughs> All right, Sarah, let's go with yours. A young girl tries to stop a man's, uh, sorry, 
Cod piece, try to stop a man's cod piece. Sorry, I just realized I had a spelling mistake. A young girl tries to stop a man's attempts at an unconventional adoption. Oh, that's. Yeah, I really like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, I've got for my next one. <clears throat> a girl with terrible spatial awareness somehow solves an ever-shifting, irrational maze by constantly applying logic to every nonsensical problem. While doing so, she bribes someone into becoming her friend with jewelry, coaxes a sentry to break his blood oath and abandon his post, and convinces a peaceful giant to go to battle for her. Yeah. Isn't that just, like, the real guide? Uh, well, mine may <laughs> suggest that she's a bad person instead of the hero of the film. It may. Mark agrees. What? Yeah. Nothing. I agreed with what? That she's a bad person. Oh, well, she's not as bad as that Bowie character, but... <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, alright, I guess it's my turn. Yes, there is. A young girl decides she is not ready for the responsibility of babysitting her younger half-brother, so she invites a creepy old man to do it for her. <laughs> he he admittedly was very good at babysitting. Mm-hmm. I mean, say what you will about Jareth. He knows how to take care of a baby. Sing to it. Mm-hmm. That's about Throw it, it in the air. <laughs> and don't catch it. Allow one of your minions to. All right. A young girl vividly hallucinates her own fan fiction. Ooh. <laughs> Carl All likes right. that one. So my final one is is out there. I'm just going to say that right off the top. All right. <clears throat> a very high-concept film where an all-powerful baby incepts his stepsister by creating a world for her populated by all of her favorite toys and possessions, sending her on a journey taken straight out of one of her favorite books and ultimately making her love him, but more importantly, making her give him back his teddy bear. <laughs> I'm so deep, man. I know. I'm thinking about it. But Toby gets everything he wants out of this situation. He even gets tossed in the air. I would really like if Toby was in charge of everything cuz babies don't have object permanence and the maze ke- keeps shifting its walls. You 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 really thought about this in too much detail. Oh, yes. Absolutely goddamn loot. <laughs> Anywho, let's go on to reviews. So our first review scale is, of course, our infamous potato scale, where we tell you the emotions you will feel while watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. Now, as always, I am going to look up the scale, <laughs> and I have not prepared. So either one of you can take the floor. Oh. What do you have? Oh, what no, is the I'm labyrinth? Not. In well, Mark potatoes. actually wrote things down this time, so I guess he's going to go first. Yeah, he definitely is. Cause I um, and I'm sure that I will get some controversies going. So We all already expect you to be wrong. Well, that's a matter of opinion. So. No, it's not. <laughs> so um, I had not seen this growing up and had heard good things from, at least from you YouTube. How write that upside down? I don't know. So, so I, I do have several potatoes written down, but I think I'm just going to go with the three main ones. I think at the beginning, there were a lot of family issues going on, um, and, and some of that background stuff, plus the crazy sorcerer Bowie bulge. So (laughs) I have black potatoes for, uh, dark subject matter, but also I have potatoes with eyes because it seems like 
this was a thing that you two loved growing up, and apparently you still do. I get the feeling that, kind of like the never-ending story, where I loved it as a kid, and I still like it now because I have that nostalgia, but I don't know that if I had never seen it before, if I would have loved it very much now. So I'm saying that this one possibly is spoiled with age because having never seen it before and watching it as an adult, I don't like it as much as you two who grew up with it. Mm -hmm. And right. I had one more, sorry. I had, well, I don't know why I wrote that down. So never mind, I'll just have those two. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, I'll go ahead and go next. Good, because I'm still so um, I would say this is definitely a mashed potatoes for me. It's a different type of mashed potatoes because it's not like a feel-good movie, but it, in the sense that it's a girl growing up, learning to love her brother, and making friends along the way. They, the things that this movie has to say about growing up and abandoning uh, your childhood interests but not abandoning what your childhood meant to you I think that's a very powerful message and like it it does feel me fill me with like hope I'm on her side at the end and I feel like she's come out the better for going on this journey um and I will say part of what I enjoy in this movie is the puppetry and I love going back to this movie every now and again to see the best puppetry you could find in a movie. The, the animatronics here are phenomenal. So I love this movie from a historical standpoint in what the Creature Shop was able to put out at this time. So in that sense, I would probably give it a McDonald's fries in because one of our descriptions for that is that it is good once in a while. I'm not going to return to this movie every year, but I like that when I return to it, I can revisit these beautiful puppetry skills displayed on screen. Um, let's see. And I suppose, in part, uh, I would maybe give this a... Um, I'm debating between two. I think I'm going to go with a gold potato. I like the, the final fight scene. I feel like everyone's playing their part. I like that these friends that she has met along the way have achieved their goal at the end of it because the cards are stacked against them. This labyrinth loves to cheat and loves to send you back to the beginning when you don't deserve it. And to see them actually solve the puzzles and move forward, I feel proud of them having gotten to the end of the labyrinth. So yeah, that's my review. Sarah, what you got? Um, I definitely agree with the mashed potatoes. I don't know if it's just because this was such a movie I've watched so many times that it just feels like kind of like, it, it's more of like the homey kind of watching such a familiar movie and enjoying it and kind of settling into those moments that you already know. Um, and I'm going to give it a steak and shake. I think there is something that one of the reasons I enjoy it more than maybe, um, definitely Mark and even more, maybe more than you is, I feel there is something about it that is very much a nerdy girl escapist <laughs> fantasy to have that kind of like that girl who reads the sci-fi fantasy like and <laughs> McCaffrey. And winds up with Bowie. Uh -huh. Well, not even ends up with Bowie, but gets to go into the like her favorite fantasy book and meet these cool creatures and friends and gets to have her hero moment and get a, to do cool things. I think there is that in that book that I think all of us like unpopular girls in high school like relate to. And so I think there's a little bit of that in that for me. And so that is what gets it that steak and shake fries for me. But it gets a little bit of 
stuff off for Hoggle. <laughs> just for Hoggle and for scaring childhood Sarah. <laughs> it's a big no-no. <laughs> All right, that may come up in our next scale, which is a rewatchability scale from 0 to 10. Should our viewers go back and watch this film? Um, definitely yes. If you haven't seen it, if you have seen it, go back and watch it. Even just from a, like, technical standpoint to ooh and ah over the visual effects and the, the um practical effects and stuff like that it's just cool to watch um even if you don't care about the plot even if you don't care about the especially even oh, and if you're like a fan of jennifer Connolly, to see her very very early starting role um i mean to see like her so kind of self-assured at such a young age is really cool she is um, the age of the character here she's yes, 15 she's in this role very young and i mean she's still acting today yeah um but yeah i say definitely Good child acting, too. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I lo- love her things still today. She's a very g- good actress. Um, I definitely say check it out, but I'm going to give it a 9.75. <laughs> that 2.5 loss is for Hoggle and for making me fear the stability of my head. Uh, okay. It Hoggle is firmly attached to... M- no, but I, they're two separate things. They okay. each lose some of that points. It is firmly attached to my neck, but I was worried about it when I was young. Yeah, I think I'm up there as well, because I I haven't seen this film since college, which was several years ago, and I really enjoyed the rewatch on it. I, I In fact, it's rare for this podcast that after rewatching a film, I will then watch it again. But I watched it uh, just yesterday with my girlfriend because she was interested in it. I was like, yeah, let's definitely check this thing out. Has she ever uh, seen and it? So she has seen it. It's okay, just good. been a while. Right, she kind of recommended we do this film. Right. <laughs> uh, so, like, I love going back to this movie. And, yes, part of it is definitely the technical ability shown with the puppetry. Part of it is the acting, is uh, going back and seeing Ludo, going to see Jennifer Colony. Acting, the, the side character is also really well done, which, as scary as those birds are, they're very well done in that, like, they their character is that they don't know any better, and they want to take off her head just because that seems totally normal to them. Uh, so I enjoyed this enough to watch it again, and I say, if nothing else, you should go back and watch it for the puppetry, I, but you will probably enjoy the story as well. I think it'd be so, a fun party movie. Yeah, just to have on in the background for, like, a Halloween thing And or you whatever. can always find a Labyrinth fan, because all you have to say is, you remind me of the babe. What babe? Mm-hmm. The babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. Hoodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me, remind me of the babe. <laughs> wow. I'm well, surprised it's only the second time we've done this uh, on this podcast. Uh, well, anyway. They only did it <laughs> so, twice in the movie. As far as a numerical scale goes, I'm going to land firmly on a nine. Sarah really likes those decimal points and her ratings. She sure does. It's that I, I stopped her being able to give movies 12. And you and guys 15. know I'm very indecisive. Yeah. So, um, I. Uh, <laughs> now my, so Mark's being indecisive. I had this rated a few points lower than you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, don't as long up. as it's so, above the kangaroo no, movie, Mark. I don't remember Mark, don't, what rating. I don't remember a rating. I think it five got a three. I think that movie it. got a three. Anyway. Mark, don't appease us. No, no, Tell no. Tell us what you think I of the movie. I don't care what you think. So, oh. I, <laughs> I, um, 
You should care what I think. I know where you live. I had it rated at a certain number, and then I increased it a point or two for the technical aspect because, as Mark we have repeated puppets. several times, the puppetry was very good. But not only that, like even the other special effects that were going on, the the contact juggling for, that we talked for about. For our audience members who don't know Mark personally. Mark has his guest room is just full of puppets. This is not yeah. true. <laughs> this is true. There are stuffed animals. There is one puppet in that room. Just yeah, but that puppy, that, that puppet, that puppet is very creepy. And uh, so it, it Mark, Mark is a puppet person. That puppet is worth like five other normal puppets. That well, puppet is very. Know, well, Mark the has next done time puppetry Sarah comes over, I'll make sure to have all the elf on the shelves oh, out. All of them. I oh, hate gross. them. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I still haven't given this a number yet, but um, I so I gave it an increase for the technical aspects and the acting was also really good. I just, as I have also said, the story didn't really do it much for me. And it's interesting that you were you found it homey, heartwarming because you were and 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 you were excited about them all having their part in the battle at the end, because I don't really I, I didn't form any kind of connection with any of the characters so it was difficult for me to get excited for them winning a battle when i didn't really care about any of them that much and i suppose at you know a movie that's 30 years old you you already know that they're gonna win in the end so (laughs) it wasn't like any big excitement thing for me at the end so um however it's difficult because if it's something you haven't seen before, I, I would say it's worth watching just if you like all the technical stuff and mm-hmm. if you like the good acting and maybe you will be like Carl and Sarah and really enjoy it. So I don't want to tell you not to watch it. However, my rating on it personally would be a four. Wow. Well, there it is. All right. Uh, I <laughs> is will that above say... The, that is above the kangaroo movie, right? Yeah, yeah. I think kangaroo was a three. Anyway. I will say, Mark, you're, at least for the time this was released, you're not in the minority there. This film cost $25 million to make, and it only made $13 million at the box office. This was a financial flop. And it was, Brian uh, Henson has listed the time this movie came out as the roughest time uh, for the Henson company and his father, uh, which is sad because it's Jim Henson's last directing film film before he passed and it's weird because this is such a cult movie now like right the amount of people i've like seen pictures of online who have like cosplay as characters from this movie yeah. and like I listed as their favorite jim henson movie who really liked it so it's interesting that it would have done poorly in the box office and, at but the i time. don't know i don't know if dark crystal did that well in in the box it office it may either. not have but both of them have become big cult classics to the point of they're talking about... Are they still talking about doing a second Dark Crystal? They, they may be, though I think when we review that, because I know one of us will pick it. <laughs> that one, I never saw as a child. When I saw it in college, I didn't connect with anything. I did. It scared me as a child. It may just be that not seeing this property, not connecting with these characters as children, doesn't do it for you as an adult. I talked about being scared of this one as a child. Dark Crystal terrified me. <laughs> like, like I was so scared of the Skeksis. Like, ah. Uh. <laughs> uh. That will mean oh, something no. to me once I actually see that movie. I mean, <laughs> not... it. Budget 25, made 41. 
for well over its lifetime. Box office forty one. Oh, not for this one. I'm talking about Dark Crystal. Oh, okay, for Dark Crystal. Because I was trying to see if they were both anyway. flops, but Dark Crystal doesn't seem to be. All right. Okay. Well, that so is that's going all getting to cut. Move. I have a. That is going to move a... us on to our it... final segment. Do you actually have a? Go ahead. Final what, segment what is our today? final I do, I do segment? No. Uh, oh. Is that what you were interrupting for, Mark? Well, I was interrupting for something else because I had a surprise for you, but... Ooh, surprise us first, then let's do our credits, and then let's do our last one. So, neither of you knew about this, so hopefully you don't... You're having a baby! (gasps) Yeah, no. Uh, (laughs) So, remember how we used to do a 20 questions quiz to find out what the next movie was? We did, and we we were really bad at it. We were terrible at that, so I kind of thought of a little twist for it, because I wanted you to guess at the next one, because I thought it would be fun. Is it Pictionary? I don't have pictures, because the listeners wouldn't be able to see them. Is it a baby? I could describe pictures to you, and see if that works. I wrote down five clues, okay. and I was just please, going, they please, get, they get please, I think, please. easier and easier the farther down the list that you go. Okay. And I was going to just say one and give you, like, five seconds or so, and if nobody knows what it is based off that clue, then I'll say the next one. And you just yell things out whenever you feel like it. Let's do it. I'm it's hoping a Stallone movie that no one what? watched. I'm hoping I can get through all five of them, but I may not because okay. you two know movies too well. It's definitely that Stallone movie that no one would watch for you. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, is that that I wish it was, or... but, but you guys wouldn't get that from any of the clues That's then. true. Oscar? Was it called Oscar? <laughs> uh, it is, yes. <laughs> yeah! We'll have right. to watch it at some point. But are you ready for a quiz? Let's do it. What's your first what do you clue? want to call it? A quiz. Mark's okay. game time. So the first clue for this movie is the color orange. Um, <laughs> the color purple, huh? <laughs> uh, no. Um, Roger Rabbit. Oh, no. Uh, right. Space so Jam. The next clue is it is celebrating its 30th anniversary in November, which is why I picked it. All right, well, that is almost meaningless to me, but let's see. 30 years, it would have come out in nine. No, not 90. 88! Carl, how old are you? (laughs) I don't know sometimes is the problem. Am I, am I, Uh, wait, when was I born is the better question. The Little Mermaid. Oh, that, Uh, that was, was that 88? I don't, no, that was 89. I think it was 89, but that's close. Not really, but it's close. 88. 88. Okay. Right. I don't know who came number, out in 88. I was, I just, I was a three, month old. Clue number three, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Ghostbusters. That's not it. Ha. Why was that the orange anyways? Oh, oh. Um, but that is. Is it Oliver and Company? Hey, Carl gets it yeah. right. Oh. All right. Flash it out, we're in. I purposely Flash put that clue in there to throw you off, and it worked for Sarah. But <laughs> I love that movie. It's so, got Billy Joel yeah, in it. Yeah, my next, the next clue. He's a dog. The next clue was that there's a well-known musician playing a main role in the film, and then it shares a story and title with a famous Broadway musical. <laughs> Ah, or how nice. about a classic literary novel? Well, that too, no. but we don't care about that. <laughs> so now everyone knows what the next movie will be. I remember really liking Oliver and Although Company, but I have not seen it. I like that somebody said Roger Rabbit because 
that was my original idea. And when I looked at it, I said, oh, we missed its 30-year anniversary. And so I looked at that, and then I saw that this one was coming out in November and was like, oh, nice. well, there it's the 30th anniversary Roger of Rabbit this one. There is a scene in Roger Rabbit that makes me very, very unhappy. Uh, um, is it the, it's the shoe. Um, it is the, the shoe. Sh- <laughs> the shoe. What, did he, what does he put him in? Dip. Um, dip. The dip. He All right. murders the shoe. I couldn't remember what it was called, but yes, it is the dip. And Christopher anyway. Lloyd's voice. But anyway, that's not the movie we're doing. So that's not <laughs> Correct. Okay. Sarah, can you tell our listeners where to find us online should they choose to do so? You can find us at Facebook at Retrograding Podcast. You can find each other on Facebook at Retrograding Party Line. Our website is retrograding.fireside.fm, and we are also on iTunes. Give us a like, a review, a share, a whatever the new cool thing is for kids. I don't know, we're old. if you can tell us what the new cool thing is for kids, we'd love (laughs) to know. We are so old now. (laughs) Is it Snapchat? Is that still a thing? Anyway. Is it Musical.ly? Like, what is Musical.ly? What yep. is TikTok? Foursquare. TikTok? I'm getting a lot of Foursquare. ads on YouTube. <laughs> that was before my time. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a lot of ads on YouTube, and I don't know what it is. I think it involves lip syncing. Oh, you know what? I've seen things for that, too, and I had no idea what it was, so I ignored them. I feel them. so, so guys, old. Guys, we're just proving how old we are. Anyway, <laughs> our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at... On SoundCloud, it's Dominique A. Barnes if you want to contact her or know more. But that is going to take us on to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. Is it always back uh, up your information? Oh, that... <laughs> I mean, that's good. Yes. That's very good. Uh, you know what? Let's let our listeners a little a peek in the kimono behind the curtain. Uh, we had been recording for about two hours, and my computer froze. Uh, and so this is the second recording we did. We had to redo some of our guide games. Like, I almost lost most of the episode. So I don't know how I can back it up as I'm recording it, Sarah. I don't know, but I just thought I was clever. It's pretty great. Anyway, the actual lesson I have here is, kids, despite what your parents might tell you, Go ahead and trust strangers. They might turn out to become your friends. All right. So that is going to close up this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you next time. Synced. There might have been an extra baby clap, but it's fine. Yeah. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> it was kind of like my hand stuttered. <laughs> and just hand stuttered. I couldn't just stop clapping. It just made another one. Just... My hands developed a speech impediment. I couldn't, I couldn't tell if the lag was just that bad or if she did an extra clap, but at least but it wasn't we know a full now. clap. It was kind of just like my hands touched each other. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did five and a half claps. All right, um, um, I'm going to bring us in here. Uh, <clears throat> okay, Carl, you know literally nothing about music, right? Sorry, get your headphones on. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> Carl, yes. you know literally nothing about music, right? Uh, 
I strangely know some things about music, but large, by and large, no, I don't. You know what Space Oddity is, right? <sighs> by David Bowie? Ground oh, control yeah, Ground Control to, to Major, Major Tom. Tom. I've heard it referenced in things. Like the um, most famous song about space ever? Yes, uh, dude, so... Dude. I, I will say I heard it I heard it first in Mr. Deeds. Uh, I heard it then again reference in Venture Brothers. Well, I was like saying I'm not the biggest David Bowie song, and I named a couple David Bowie songs I like, and Mark's like, oh, but you're naming all these songs. I named three David Bowie songs, and apparently that's making me like the biggest David Bowie song. I named. I did not Space say that. Oddity. I said you're naming songs that mean nothing to me because I don't know what they are. <laughs> I named Space Oddity, I named Rebel Rebel, and I named Just Dance. Just, Just Dance. Dance. I know that yeah. one. Yeah. And Rebel Rebel. Nope. Yeah. You know, Rebel Rebel. Rebel Rousers. I, I told her if she sings it for me, I may recognize the lyrics yeah. or the, the notes of the song, but I don't, I hardly pressure. ever... Oh, yeah, Under Pressure. Even songs the, that I know, I don't know the titles of half the time. Uh, there's the, the beat that was stolen by Vanilla Ice. Under Pressure. Well, that's... down on me. Pushing down on me. So now there's the thing. I know that song. I would not have known the title, and I would not have known that it they was Bowie. They literally repeat <laughs> Under Pressure. Like 20 times. Like, um, that's... The title is most of the lyrics of that song. Oh, oh, how about, um... Um... Uh, ch 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 changes. Turn, is that turn Bowie? Around again. No, turn and face the Turn around again. No. <laughs> Just keep turning. No. Turn okay. Well, good thing we're changes. recording this. <laughs> All right. Let's. How about let's... Young Americans? I haven't heard that one. Diamond Dogs. No. Faith? That sounds. That sounds like a military group. Diamond Dogs. Well, yeah, because it's the group in um, uh, Metal Gear Solid. Oh, okay, that that's it. That that'd be the one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. And we're gonna get into it and try to get this thing wrapped up. Oh, so this, this is gonna be this, fun. So that this recording doesn't go on for literally forever. <laughs> Fame. Oh, that one. <laughs> it's, it's a different song. Mark, do you know fame? No, well, I'll, I'll show it to you afterwards. It, All right. He literally you show it says afterwards. it like that. He does. Fame. I know that song. Yeah, and that's a dead-on impression. <laughs> it right? is, pretty much. I've never heard of this. What? I just really liked... I just really like the stupid way you're saying fame. I'm no, Carl, how do you on. not know that one, but you know all the other weird ones? I don't know. My Rebel, musical Rebel education is... has been very sporadic. None of those were weird ones. Those are all like They're pretty weird to me. Tier. Well, that's because it's David Bowie and they're all weird ones. But those well, are all yes. top tier. Like, like um, Under Pressure is David Bowie mm -hmm. and Queen. Mm -hmm. Rebel Rebel is pretty, like, one of probably the most well-known um, fashion. It's so well-known well that Mark has no idea what it is. Like, <laughs> fashion gets played on, like, mainstream radio constantly. Okay. Rebel Rebel, not as much. Young American gets played constantly. Um, changes got used in, like, the Shrek 2 soundtrack. Yeah. If you're on the Shrek soundtrack, you are beyond mainstream. 
Okay, let's go yeah. to games. Yeah. And, then right. I will, and then I will show <laughs> I you. I would never call Shrek mainstream, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, oh, uh, God, what would I call it? No, it's whatever is the level beyond mainstream. It's right. Like... So completely commercialized. Yes. That's what I said, beyond mainstream. All right, all right. Uh, let's get into it. <clears throat> and then I will show you what a good impression of David Bowie is. Fame. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, oh boy! 